Dear listener, this is not the full film of Mirai. This is a review of the English dub of the film. At time of release, Mirai is available on DVD and Blu-ray from G-Kids, as well as streaming on Netflix and HBO Max. Please support the official release. Sincerely, the Dub Talk Podcast. Guys, I was just about to record something in here. What am I with you? I don't have time for this. All right, uh, warning, the following podcast may contain language that is not suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is highly advised. What? I, not the marble race. I think this is kind of noise. I'm, t- I'm sorry about this. Um, also, uh, there will be spoilers for any and all everything that's being discussed, including Mariah and all the movies that we bring up. So if you haven't finished it yet, uh, be on your guard because uh, we may spoil it for you. you have, and, uh, right, don't, just don't jump on the couch, okay? I was really, I just was seeing the couch. Yet. No, wait, no, 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 no! Oh, what, why? Did, I don't know why. Um, right, lastly, uh, the opinions expressed are those of the individuals and don't necessarily reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. Give me that pillow. I'm getting. <laughs> 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 Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Dub Talk, the premiere podcast where we talk about the voice acting accomplishments of all things Japanimation related. Be they old, be they new, be they good, and be they. Whatever this thing is that we're going to be talking about here tonight. Um, now, you'll have to forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, because I am exhausted right now. That's right. It's already the beginning of the episode, and I am exhausted. But not because of recording. No, no, no. It's because I have been raising children all day. And as all of you who are parents know, and even those who aren't parents, that is tiring. will take the energy right out of you. So I was excited to find out that we were going to be doing a podcast here tonight so I can, you know, get get a break from the, the parent race. The, the child raising parenting thing here and talk about a Japanese movie. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Summer at the Movies! Well, more episodes of Summer at the Movies. This is like uh, episode four or five. I forget which uh, order we're going in. I believe but, this one is number four. Excellent. Awesome. So, number quattro for the night. Um, uh, but I, before I go any further, I should introduce you to my cohort for the evening. Yes, we've done... Uh, multiple seasons of Summer at the Movies, but the two of us have never done a movie together. So, please welcome Andrew! Technically speaking, we've never done a movie, just the two of us. I believe we did we did team, team up to put out some fires in the past. That Well, yes, that's of course, but um, once that ice had been put on ice, uh, we needed to do one just the two of us, because what better idea than to have the two yakidiest members of the podcast be in one episode together, all alone? See, I'm, I have a theory of why I'm here. And the theory is not just because this is the fifth in the yearly tradition of Summer at the Movies, Mamoru Hosoda anthology... Like, I think by the time this is done, we will be caught up just in time for the new one he's, he's putting out. Yes, we'll talk about, I think we'll talk about that more at the end. Uh, but but I, I have a theory of why I'm actually here. I think okay. I'm here because you are secretly trying to convince me, the young babby child who's growing up into adulthood, living on his own, moving in with the lady Fred, you 
are trying to convince me don't have kids. Absolutely. Thank God we got that out of the way here. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a rewarding life choice, but it really isn't for everyone. And I, I, I'm sorry, Andrew. I know, I'm sure you'd be a great dad, but don't jump into having kids. It, it's, it takes it out of you. It, it literally makes you older. I, I was going to say, the, the thing that's fascinating to me about uh, what we are going to be covering tonight is this film is exclusively about children young children and the process that comes into raising nurturing and growing them everything and, good bad and in between and really come and really come to the conclusion that you know what kids are are a handful but parents are sometimes just big kids you know so, so parents aren't any more mature or developed than kids sometimes they're just kids who happen to have kids of their own Basically, so, they're just trying to wing it. That is exactly what they're doing. It, it is that Calvin and Hobbes sketch, that comic, where the dad says straight to the camera, I don't think I'd have been in such a rush to grow up if I knew the whole thing was going to be ad-libbed. Oh my god. That's so, pretty accurate. So yes, we are talking, as you could probably guess and read and infer, Mirai, the latest feature film, uh, as of recording, the latest released feature film from uh, legendary animation auteur Mamoru Hosoda and his own private studio, Studio Chizu. And uh, this is uh, the most recent film, and it's also following the grand tradition of Summer at the Movies, the last Hosoda movie that we haven't covered yet. We'd covered all the other ones up to here. And it had to come sooner or later, so I'm glad that we finally got around to it. It took five years, but we're finally caught up. Now Yay. it's just a matter if number six is going to have a dub in time for next year. And if it doesn't, that's okay, because I got we got a plan. We got a backup plan. We got a contingency case. plan, and if you know, you know. You know your Hosoda work, you know what's coming. <laughs> Shouldn't be getting too evil. Um, so let, let's talk about this particular film, like what it's about exactly. As um, I, I mean, let, let's go to the checklist here. Does it have flying whales in it? No, no, it doesn't. Does it have furry animals? Yes. Yes. Does it have uh, young children in it and adventures? Oh boy, does it. Yes, it does. That's the primary focus of this. So, Mirai is a very domestic movie. It is about a young boy named Kuhn, who is a four-year-old boy who has just become a big brother. His baby sister, Mirai, has been brought home, and there is almost no plot to it from that. It is all of the adventures of him learning to be a big brother, learning to cope with not being the center of attention, learning that the rest of his family is tied together into this adventure as well and well okay so Mamoru Hosoda could make just a very basic movie but no he decided to throw in time travel into the movie yes the thing that defines this movie and what is kind of the hook is that Kuhn actually meets different members of his family from different time periods and from different ages as well including meeting his baby sister Mirai as a high school student and that is where the lessons of the movie come from. See, when I was first, when I first watched the tree do its thing, and I, I saw it do it a few times, I'm like, okay, instead of the giving tree, this is the empathy tree. <laughs> oh man, that 
I mean, this is kind of picture book like, kind of like the Giving Tree. It, it feels uh, fact- it feels like a children's book in that it is basically it is a little kid who is learning to get used to his new family dynamic, but is still young and immature and doesn't know how things work. He does a bad thing, and then a magical entity or version of somebody in his life comes and tries to teach him something or to make mm-hmm. him understand something. That is uh, entirely based on the uh, where Mamoru Hosoda himself was at his time period that he made the movie. Just like all of his other movies, every one of his movies is influenced. The story is influenced by where he is in life. With Wolf Children, his mom had just died. With Summer Wars, uh, he had just gotten married and become part of a new family. Boy and the Beast was obviously becoming a dad for the first time and learning to take care of someone other than himself. And Mirai was influenced by having a baby girl and seeing how his older son reacted to that. And, well, how the whole family really reacted to that. So, Noah, before we before we get a little more into the nitty-gritty about what makes this particular dub tick. Mm-hmm. So, there's a genre, a sort of pseudo-sub-genre, that I think... I am a fan of, and you are probably begrudgingly a fan of. I remember hmm. this because we you sort of brought it up a little bit last time we recorded an episode together, and it was for uh, Kakushi Goto. You, there, you said there's sort of like this subgenre of show animes that basically make parenthood to look out the most great, wonderful, rewarding, satisfying most necessary thing in the world to be. Now, I don't know if that genre has a name, but yes, that that is a... a it's kind of Hallmark movie-ish, uh, but when it's animated, it's made to be uh, much more storybook, much more fairy tale like I guess, and it's magic. And that is films like... Kaku- shows like Kakushi Goto, Clan Ad After Story, I, uh, sh- Bunny Drop being a big one. I would, you, I would not put Clan Ad After Story in that fucking genre at all. I, I mean, it's... it's Okay, it's a stretch. It's a That bit one a stretch, is absolute... You are stretching hard with that one, my friend. No. If you want more proper examples, I'd say a, a good one is like Sweetness and Lightning. That's like the big one to me. Oh, definitely, yeah. And it's a, it's a bitter shame that that show didn't get a dub because, uh, man, I wish more people saw that. Yeah, but I'll say this. Like, if you want a name for that genre, you could call that the 57th Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's propaganda to breed genre. <laughs> That, that may not be fair, because I, I'm sure that there are older examples of that. I'm sure there were anime in the 80s and the 70s and beyond that that had that mentality to it. Oh, there's but... absolutely more things that have been like that. But that is, to me, the most recent thing. And if there's anything any good to come out of Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's uh, <laughs> political career and aspirations, which, of what I've heard, there's not actually that grade a career i can at least joke about the fact that that dude wants to fix the dwindling birth rate population in japan to a hilarious degree and i will make fun of that for my days this is a very i've but, gone a little too long about this point what i'm but saying this is not that kind of a this show. is not yeah, this is a kind of movie this is a show made by somebody who is actually a parent this, okay yeah so this is 
Actually, I mean, we don't know if uh, Prime Minister Abe has had children or not, but this is not only by made by a guy who had children. He wants to encompass both the ugly and the good parts of that experience. In fact, the thing I would compare this movie to, for those who are just coming into it cold, is actually Where the Wild Things Are, the Marie Sendek book, and consequently the live-action movie, too, because it absolutely calls attention to how monstrous little children can be and not because they're malicious not because they're you know out to destroy anything they just don't know uh, better. it's simply how children really are they're not always that idealistic perfect cherub creation they are human they, they are actual living breathing people and that is admittedly a big draw that distinguishes this movie from that genre you were talking about like no other genre has no, no other anime that i can think of has the kid be that precarious on purpose i feel like also a lot of them tend to be girls because i feel like they often oh, like to yes. portray the girls as a lot more sweeter and kind-hearted compared to like a a, a boy child boys are uh... <laughs> Look, boys are uh, not the easiest thing to get along with. Having been one myself, I, I, Andrew, I believe you were one as well when you were growing up. Arguably, I still am, but yes. So, you know, who would be, when it comes to an anime English dub, mm -hmm. I'd say if the actors are children, who is the one that reigns in the acting children? Well, it could only be someone incredibly gifted, talented, and patient, like a, a, a director, a, a, an ADR director, as it were. But where in the world are we going to get one of those in New York City? I feel like I'm staring at you like I'm on The Office right now, Christ. <laughs> Yeah, so let's, so let's jump into the dub here for this particular movie, which, yes, we are very fortunate enough to have actually dubbed, which all of Hisoda's films have been since the very beginning. Um, this one uh, is interesting because uh, whereas the first one, uh, The Girl Who Left Through Time, was dubbed by uh, Bang Zoom uh, and dubbed in Canada, and then the next three ones were released and dubbed by Funimation, this one is actually released by G-Kids, who uh, are pretty known for releasing a lot of foreign animation, not just Japanese, but Spain, uh, Ireland, uh, France, all over the place. And they've been dipping into a lot of anime distribution as well recently, so much so that they hired uh, fine folks at NYAV Post, LA, New York, and Brooklyn Recording to record a dub for this particular movie. So we got the dream team of Main Direction by Michael Sinternicholas, one of the funnest names to pronounce doing this job, and uh, additional assistant directing from Stephanie Shea and Michael Schneider. And we got Stephanie Shea to do the script writing for this as well. So uh, now I, I know that all you people listening know those names. You know, like you're well versed here, but we're going to list out a couple roles they've done just, you know, just, just because. Just um, in case you're not a uh, dub otaku super fan that pays attention to every minute credit out there, that's kind of what we're for anyways. Yeah, there's going to be at least five people listening who are like, that's me. Well, if you are also that, thank you for tuning in to us. Yes. You fucking weirdo, we identify with you. 
So, uh, let's see. So this group has uh, done the ADR directing for other NYAV-led projects, like Promare, which is the big Studio Trigger movie that came out last year. Uh, they also directed the new dub for Tokyo Godfathers, which, thank God that they really, they dubbed that again, because Satoshi Kon deserves all the exposure. And mm -hmm. for probably a thing that should have won the Academy Award, but didn't even get a nomination, they did the dub for Your Name as well. Mm-hmm. And we're still bitter about that. So I, I've, I've gotten used to uh, the anime films at least getting snubbed. I'm used to them getting snubbed by the Crunchyroll Awards now, too. Oh, well, that's the thing. is like, I can get the Crunchyroll people, like, just battling over what's the best anime. That's their wheelhouse. The reason it bugs me about the Academy Awards is that it's not that they don't win. It's not that they don't give anime awards. It's that it's used to further stigmatize the medium as, like, well, this didn't get an Academy Award, so it's not worthy enough, yes. It's like those people going around saying, now that, um... Uh, Demon Slayer Mugen Train made a lot of money. Now anime is mainstream. Like, it hadn't been mainstream for 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Anyways, at least Spider-Verse won its not rightful nomination. That's... I'll, I'll content with that. Uh, Mariah was uh, also a contender, actually, the year it came out. What? Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, that checks out. That checks out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, the direction on this is... Uh, I'll just keep this short and sweet. It's good. It's perfectly fitting for what this movie is calling for, and that's a lot of screaming, but then a lot of tender, sweet moments as well. And we'll get into this when we get into the actual cast, but they got a lot of really diverse actors uh, as far as like voice acting, backgrounds, some are video game people, some are live action actors, and the kids are actually voiced by kids. That is a huge prop that... I mean, I, I can't express how refreshing that is to listen to. So it's it's definitely it's definitely very much uh it is very much a I, I wanted well, what's the right word like a hallmark uh a, a particular I wouldn't say quirk like a a calling card sure like basically it's a calling a particular calling card of an NYAV post up nowadays is that they actually go through the effort to get actual child actors in the rules, which, mm -hmm. A, that is especially hard to do with children. Because dubbing, at, dubbing and matching lip flaps is already a particularly challenging skill for an actor to have, mm -hmm. let alone a child who is by their nature, way less experienced than most of the people you're going to be working with. And not only is that... No like, here's the thing. That's notable in other projects, too. Other projects of NYAV Post, I'd say, like, having the children being played by children, I think, is important. But it's not always, like, center-focused. The closest I think of is maybe uh, early on in Machia where uh, mm -hmm. child Ariel is a pretty big center focus of the film. Right. But even that has nothing on this, where the star of this movie is the four-year-old child. Yeah, and that... I mean, I can't wait to talk when we get about the actor there, because, oh boy, his credentials... I squealed when I read those credentials. And uh, the, the entire... Yeah, the entire cast is pretty well-directed. 
Um, it, it sounds unique, it really does, and this is also kind of a hallmark of a lot of NYAV dubs, is that they don't sound like anime dubs because they don't get exclusively anime voice actors. I, I feel like there's some contention about whether that is uh, whether that is a good or bad practice of like whether it's the idea of like if you want to make your dub seem more mainstream and legit. Well, I mean, that's the question is like does casting uh, more live action or live television actor, uh, performers as opposed to the staple of voice actors you get in Los Angeles or New York does that add credibility or is that uh, I guess uh, a handicap I'd say they want it to be marketable and they want it to be get that credibility but it is sometimes indeed for better or for worse, an unnecessary hindrance. It definitely mm. does depend on the project. I'm going to say that I don't think anybody in this dub was particularly bad, actually. I'd say a couple, even a couple of the notable, like, screen actors actually were pretty good in this dub as a whole. There's only one I'd actually really argue I wasn't the biggest fan of. But even then, like, th they did a pretty solid job with this dub overall, and... Like honestly, it's not even it's not even just it's not even like the the notoriety of particular performers they got. It's the fact that they got the child actor to be the center stage of your anime English dub and made that work very well, I feel is the most uh uh impressive uh thing I will give uh to Cinder Nicholas and Stephanie Shea. Okay, that's fair. Um, yeah, this is not going to be, um, I mean, it feels a l kind of similar to, like, those Disney-directed Ghibli dubs from the early 2000s, in that they would get A-list uh, celebrities who are, uh, some of them have, like, a very distinct voices and fit their acting roles very well, but there's, there's definitely a noticeable difference between people who are used to voice acting, who are used to, like, the rhythm of matching lip flaps, and then compare that to some actors in this movie where lip flap matching doesn't seem to be the highest priority. It's, it's more of matching the tone, matching the scene and the emotion more than that. I think I think when you're talking about like voice acting with matching matching lips, I think you you were trying to describe prelay animation recording. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I have way more to say about the actual actors themselves. Uh, I th I think the the thing to end this off on is that the acting. I'm sorry, the directing is pretty consistent. Um, there is one actor, and I'm curious to see if it's the same one that you were mentioning before, who I wasn't the biggest fan of. Um, and it does feel like it's a directing thing, not a this is how the person performs thing, just looking at what else they've done in the past. But, okay. yeah, but the, I mean, this is not, okay, let's go into a little bit about what inspired this movie for Hasoda specifically. Because um, he said in an interview that's available on the home video release that his inspiration uh, for this kind of movie wasn't just his own family life, it was also those uh, 70s and 80s Toei movies that focused very heavily on children and animals. I'm talking about stuff like um, uh, the Treasure Island movie that Discotech put out uh, not too long ago. Uh, a lot of like uh, uh, movies that are basically about like nostalgic, children. basically yeah. nostalgic child wonderment, basically. Yeah, because it it's it's about yeah that 
um, the world through a child's eye, which uh, Hosoda was kind of lamenting that we don't have anymore. So he wanted a movie that was not just about children, but starred a young child as its center point. And that's not really something that we have in animation for America these days. Um, like I'm trying to think of like the last time that there was an animated feature film that had a very young kid as its star. Uh, are you... Are you... Are you... Words, Are you man. being serious right now? Well, no, okay. I'm used to a lot of TV of TV shows, animated TV shows that have young kids as their focal point. But, like, um, uh, Hollywood theatrical animated features, uh, none, not many are coming to mind right now. D and did I'm, Luca not just come out? But they're a little older than that. Luca is, um, uh, they're, like, elementary school age. Okay, you mean, like, literal, like... I'm talking yeah, kindergarten, kindergarten under. I'm talking like D.W. from Arthur age is the main character. How old is D.W.? She she is in uh, preschool. She, she is established in the show that she has yet to go to kindergarten. Don't test me on my Arthur knowledge. I know more about that Canadian show than I have any right to know. Oh my god! Wow, it's been that long. Okay, okay, I will, I will concede that. I thought you meant like actual like young kids and like I like that. Are you serious? Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. Okay. My, my point, bringing this whole thing back to the the acting portion of it is that like, do we have um, an equivalent to that in the script writing that we can kind of c uh, draw on? Because Japanese voice acting is very archetypal, and that was the same for the Japanese in this movie as well. Um, actually, some of the actors in the Japanese cast were brought over from previous Hosoda movies, and we'll get to that when we talk about them, but it's all very archetypal. So the acting and the writing, we're talking about Stephanie's writing here, is kind of unique. It's kind of uh, something that we don't have an equivalent for in America. When we talk about movies in America, animated movies in America that have kids as the main focus, let's take Luke as an example, because I just watched that recently. I'm assuming that you watched it as well? I have not. I saw the... Uh the Roku ads when it's paused <laughs> telling me to go watch Luca. Scrolling, scrolling. All you see is Luca. Yeah, no, I saw it's that it's it's literally just like I, I, I like le I like go away for ten minutes. It's like the screensaver suddenly instead of the generic Roku one, it is just Luca. No, I know. I, I have the same uh goes to that screensaver as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so, but even, if, okay, any other Disney, Pixar, DreamWorks movie that you can think of, they go on adventures, don't they? Yeah. Uh, this movie, the main character doesn't go outside of their home, really. In fact, all of the action takes place in their yard, which is this, very odd. It's basically no different than that episode of SpongeBob SquarePants where he's playing with the box and his imagination. Mm-hmm. Only the visuals are slightly better than Nickelodeon. Slightly. Slightly better than Nickelodeon. Just burst it up for... Wow. Okay, so... Okay, so how's this tie into the script writing here? Um, the... Uh, I think the script writing captures uh, what the characters meant... Uh, were saying in Japanese pretty well. I don't have qualms with the script writing. Like, there wasn't a point where I felt like a plot point was lost or uh, the character's intention was... Uh, you know, misinterpreted. It's exactly how it should have been interpreted. So uh, that's the acting and scriptwriting part of it. Um, shall we talk about the uh, the actual actors who made this movie possible? I believe I would. Right. So 
I'm glad to do that because this is a family heavy movie and so almost all the characters we're going to talk about are part of Kuhn's family. And you know what? Let's start talking about the elder members of the family. We're going to talk about the grandma and the grandpa. We're going to have a slight discussion about young grandma because this is a time travel movie so we actually get to hear uh, grandma in the past. But most prominently, and this is the one that uh, is what we're going to probably spend the most time talking about, is we get time travel back to right after World War II. We get to meet Kuhn's great-grandpa as he was as a young man, like as a, I want to say like mid-20s-year-old at the time period. We, we don't meet great-grandpa in the present day, but we get a pretty memorable scene of horse riding and motorcycle riding in the past. No, I think that was a pretty interesting little past segment going into that in particular. Yeah, the segments themselves of this movie are honestly quite brilliant. The idea of Kuhn's got a problem in the, in the present day and a family member from either the past or the future kind of uh, teaches him a lesson that he should be able to carry into the present day. And Great Grandpa helps him learn how to ride a bike. But who voices the characters? Who voices our grandparents here? So, I would like to know that, yes. Yeah, the, and this is going to be interesting. All you people with your bingo cards, get them ready, because we're going to be talking about people that you may not have heard before if you only follow voice actors. Playing the grandma, we have Eileen Takei. Playing the grandpa, we have Victor Brandt. Playing past grandma, we have Valerie Aram. And playing young grandpa uh past great grandpa it's hard to describe in the greaser grandpa let's let's say greaser grandpa there we go that's a good yeah he because he is a greaser he's a uh plane engineer is the none other than daniel day kim and now i just listed off four names there and if you recognize all four of them you are very versed on imdb because i did not recognize all but one when i was putting this whole thing together so so i'm curious uh mr clue what have they all done so Eileen is probably best known for bit parts in TV shows from the 70s and 80s. Um, she had bit parts in Murder, She Wrote, Matlock, and L.A. Law. Uh, not really any like uh, prominent uh, roles uh, that I could really point to that I think anyone would notice. But having that experience as she's been around for a while definitely adds to the legitimacy of her as a grandma. Because she would actually be old enough to fill that role. Playing Victor, I'm sorry, playing Victor is Grandpa. Playing Grandpa. Playing Victor is Victor. Yes. Okay, so what's Victor done before? Uh, Victor, you probably have heard him as something before. Um, just going off of, like, the most well-known mainstream thing. Uh, you, you remember the cat in the hat with Mike Myers from the early 2000s? I believe I do recognize that indeed. So that was a movie that should not have happened, and... Well, either way, uh, Victor was the narrator in that movie, the one actually reading off the dialogue from the book in that. So, know it or not, uh, a lot of people have actually heard his voice before. Maybe something uh, it's a, a little more well-known is uh, in the Superman, the animated series series, uh, he plays the character of Professor Hamilton. Um, and those are really the most prominent roles uh, that he's had. Like Eileen, he's had bit parts in a lot of television, uh, but he's actually been doing it since 1964. This guy has been performing for over 50 years. Wow. wow. Yes, indeed. So, again, two, two actors who are absolutely qualified to play grandparents. 
Uh, someone who is less qualified is Valerie Aram, who plays the young grandma. Now, she is, uh, this is a name that Andrew uh, knew about, not from her voice acting work, but uh, I believe you said from her directing work. Uh, yes, she is a very, she is very much a big, big time video game voiceover director. She does a lot of particular projects at PCB Productions. Uh, a couple of notable ones that she has voice directed recently. Uh, she's directed the dubs for the Zero Escape the Nunnery games, uh, Monster Hunter Wild, Catherine Full Body, mm-hmm. and uh, okay, who, who am I kidding? She's the director of the Persona Five and various many many Persona games. Like she is basically the one that has dubbed pretty much every like Persona game dub in the past decade. Yeah, so. every mainline, every spinoff, and it's also notable as far as voice work mm-hmm. because for a good amount of them. Uh, she took over as the the voice actor for a major character in Persona 4, for the Persona 4 spinoff games, notably things like Arena Ultimax, Dancing All Night, and Blaze Blue Cross Tag Battle, uh, as Naoto Shiragane, the Detective Prince. So, see, you that whole section there, I'm very proud of you, Andrew. I didn't understand a word of it. But also, I know, but I know our people just think I know at least one. I know one person is going to kill me if I don't mention this. If you're here, Gatter, uh, Valerie is also Aurelia Lagoon in The Legend of Heroes: Trail of Co- Trails of Cold Steel. I, I'm sure that's something that exists. I, I don't think you're just making that up. I just don't know what that is because I don't play the games of videos. Ah, you fucking... I know you're not a boomer, but you, you're... Every day, you sound more and more like it's one. It's not that! I just... I never grew up with games, okay? I, I've devoted my energies to a lot of different things there. I'm sure I'm versed in something that you've never heard of either. Very possible. But yeah, Valerie, like you said, a lot of experience in voice acting, directing, and do, has done some voiceover work herself, so she's more than qualified in this section here. Someone mm-hmm. who is also very well qualified is our greaser grandpa voiced by daniel de kim he is someone who has been in uh, quite a bit of both voice acting and live action interestingly enough uh if you're more like andrew's age and you watch the divergent franchise you might remember him as jack kung but if you're more of a voice actor person, he's been in uh, things like he was Micah in uh, She-Ra, the series that's on Netflix right now. Got to pronounce that correctly. Uh, if you saw Raya, The Last Dragon, the newest Disney movie that just got released to Disney+, Plus, he plays the dad, Benja, in that one. Uh, famously known as the one who made people question, are animated dads getting too hot? No. And the answer is Fucking no. Cowards. You, 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 Fucking cowards. Fucking bitch-ass cowards. Give us those dilfs. We deserve them. We need them. Give us all the dilfs. Give us all the milfs. Give us all the hot <laughs> fucking parents. It's not a shame to be a parent and also be good-looking. Kind of like the grandpa in this movie. Like, like I- I'm looking at his picture there. Andrew, you're looking at his picture there. Look, you're Look, you're eventually going to outgrow your childhood crushes, but guess what? The parents are just as fine, if not better, as you get older. And you will come around to that. You will join us in the embrace sooner or later. It will come for you. 
like I had that revelation re recently when they brought Sergeant Frog back, where I'm like, oh, the sis the sister that like when I was reading the the books and watching a little of the anime as a kid, I'm like, oh, she's really cute. You got out now that I'm older. Now that I'm older, it's the fucking mom. I'm like, oh my god, she's the mom is hot. a. I I hate to use a porn term, but the mom is a milf, and she always was. Why do you hate to use that? How many times has the phrase MILF been uttered on this podcast alone? Uh, probably more times than we, we have any right to. But but it's true. It, it's true. The, the, the Sergeant Frog Mom, hell of an editor, and one she hell of a looker. She can get it. She <laughs> can get it. God, now I want to watch that show again. But we'll do that later. Um, mm -hmm. Let's let's talk about um, let's draw, let's knock off Grandma, Grandpa, and past Grandma here because they're the ones oh, right. who we have to talk about the dub. <laughs> let's, let's not knock them off. Let's just let's talk about them a little bit here. So Grandma and Grandpa, we see Grandma right at the beginning because she is actually watching Coon while uh, Mariah is being born because you don't take your four-year-old with you to the hospital. You get God. the grandparents to watch them. Of course, you don't take your four-year-old with you to while you're giving birth. That's basically about guaranteed stress. And also probably not healthy for the kid. Oh no, isn't it not? So, uh, Eileen, uh, let's see, what, what notes do I have for Eileen? Um, well, she's got uh, a little bit of um, age in her voice, um, and Victor does as well, because um, we see Grandpa later on in the movie, it's like the first week that Mariah's home. There's like uh, Grandma and Grandpa come over for a visit, and they, you know, they, they said, like, grandparent kind of dialogue. So, so just because just I'm trying to think about this right now, this is different from Daniel Day Kim's character. That is correct, yes. The great-grandpa is one generation older than the, the two that we're talking about right now. Okay, yeah, because they were talking about the fact that they went to his funeral last year. Yes, so he, yeah, which is why I say that we don't get to see him in the present day of the movie, but we get one hell of an introduction in the past. Mm-hmm. So, I'll say this. I like I like Valerie, and I'm sure Victor is very good, but it's very... It's very... They don't get a lot. They, they do a good job at the with the parts they need to. They interact with the characters. Mm -hmm. They do a good job sounding and playing the part, but I really don't have much I particularly remember about either of their particular performances. They are very bit parts what what a good word to describe them be casual casual yeah sure let's go with that well i mean that's uh, we don't need dynamic over the top grandma grandpa voices i mean they 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 don't really need to like steal the scenery but they they also they the characters and the performances did the job that they needed to do exactly um like i'm looking at uh examples of well-known american voice actors or, i'm sorry um like American cartoon voice actors who do grandma and grandpa voices. And I'm thinking of like Tress McNeil. Tress McNeil does a pretty distinct grandma voice. Um, she was like the old bloodbender character in that one episode of Avatar, the last airbender. And that's not really fitting for this particular grandma. This needed a, a you know, laid back, casual, not really imposing voice. Same with the grandpa as well. So I, I commend Eileen and Victor for filling their roles exactly the way that they were supposed to be done without taking away from the domesticness of the scene that was taking place. Now I was talking well, they about... Did, they they yeah. did a good job. They, they did. And you know what? Valerie did too. Um, the reason I wanted to talk about Valerie is because Valerie, uh, we get to hear her as the same character of Grandma, but 
in the past when Kuhn's mom was Kuhn's age. And that is exactly why Valerie was, I feel like, was brought in, because she has to sound very upset. There is just one scene after the mom has done a lot of bad, like absolutely trashed the house, and we get to hear her behind a door, because we don't get to see it directly, and she is uh, reasonably ticked off. As you would. As you should. I, I don't know if you should, but you understandably would do so if your child was acting that way. Um, so yeah, Val Valerie also brought uh, a right level of intimidation to that voice that is distinct from Eileen, because Eileen is playing the, you know, the more chill, laid-back, I've had children, let them raise children now mentality, whereas Valerie has to have a, you know, young mom voice that is reasonably ticked off for, you trashed my house, what is wrong with you? But let's talk about uh, Greaser Dad in a little bit, because that is... Uh, the standout for this section here, not just because of the voice, but also because it's it's just a really interesting idea. Like I'm gonna, it really is. I, I'm criticize. I'm gonna criticize this movie a lot as we go here. Like I'll be straightforward and saying I have I'm issues shocked. with the fact that it's a very thin movie plot of a story. There is no plot. It is all vignettes, and I don't particularly like that. But I do like this vignette of. Kuhn goes back in time, meets his grandpa, who is recovering after the war. Like his leg doesn't work properly. And he gets to learn how to ride a motorcycle. Now, how does Daniel Day Kim do it? He sounds very cool. I think that's the way to put it, is that he is genuinely radiating cool guy energy. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, they, this is a cool dude. I, they, they call it the greatest generation, and um, I'm, I'm looking at him, and it's like, I, I believe it. I, I mm, can't deny it. Well, I mean, it, it's not just the hotness portion of it. It is, like you said, it's the it's the voice. It is actually the um, the way that Daniel portrays him as someone who's accepted the wartime trauma he's gone through, and he's dispensing his own wisdom to who is essentially his great grandson. And it's it's like really refreshing to watch because I don't know if it did you ever get to meet your great grandparents? I never even got to meet my grandparents. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's it's not the kind of thing where I'm like particularly wound up about it. It's just I I I just by the time I was really really cognizant, I never they were kind of all gone. Okay, that's. I mean, I I'm fortunate, I guess, to have met my own grandparents, but I didn't get to meet my great grandparents, and I'm not sure how many people really get to. So it, it seems like if you do, that would be really hard or somebody must have started young right um like it's just an example like uh, all my kids uh, get to meet my grandpa uh my grandpa jim who is their great grandpa and he's still with it he's still doing really well and he's coming up on his 90th birthday and he still acts like he's 10 damn that's fucking crazy good yeah. on him yeah, do you do you want to know where i get my energy i got nothing on great on grandpa jim but, uh, but yeah, so I think the, the majesty of, this, of that vignette is that you not only get to meet someone who teaches you how to ride a motorcycle, they also, you get to connect with someone who you otherwise wouldn't get to. And th there's kind of a charm to that, getting to re-interact with someone who you never even knew, but you're connected by family lineage. So I, I know we were talking about uh, cool grandpa, but cool great-great-grandpa, whatever his deal is. Uh, but I, I kind of also wanted to actually go back to uh, Eileen because I kind of briefly skimmed over uh, Victor and Valerie because they had very bit parts. I feel Eileen does a little more of the meat and potatoes of being 
sweet, kind granny. Mm-hmm. You you see her interact with Kuhn as well as actually interact with her daughter and kind of reminisce about the fact that oh, yeah. she used to be a terror kind of like Kuhn is. Yeah. I actually did like the fact that they showed that the mom wasn't always this, like, perfect, like, beacon of maturity. And it's like, no, no, she was a fucking brat, too, once she got, like, a baby sister, too. It was, it was, uh... No, I, no, a baby brother. It, yeah, it was a brother who were... They are very close in age. And it's, it's funny that the mom... Uh, is kind of in denial. She's like, no, we got along really well, me and my brother did. And you should too, Coon. You should get along with your sister like me and my brother did. And then you go back in time, and you, you don't see them fight or anything. The mom is just kind of dismissive of the brother. She, she's really wanted a cat. She wanted a pet, not a not a sibling. Which, man, that's such a, that's such a dark way to end that whole cat thing. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, not that, the. It felt very random. It's like I she I got a cat stuffed animal because I really wanted a cat, and then it turned out oh she watched a cat kill a bird and that traumatized her. That's not the cute fluffy mummer Hasoda animals I was promised. No, it was not. <laughs> so no, it was not. Anyways, yeah, yeah. if if there if there's one thing to approach. From all of the Hasoda films, uh, his first soda is not feline in nature at all. It is absolutely canine. He is all about doggy style. You were just waiting for that, weren't you? No, I literally just thought of it right now, but it's very clear. If Hasoda's gonna do it, he's gonna do it doggy style. Let, let him have his words, people. He, he had it in his head, he had to get it out. Same way he had to get this film out. Right. Anyways, now that we're done talking about uh, Hasoda's first Sona, um, <laughs> it's not fa- like it's not fair that everyone keeps asking like, "Are you a furry?" Like, I think I felt like he was trying to differentiate it in this movie because there, there's no fur sonas in this movie anywhere. He turns a four-year-old child into a puppy. You and know what? Let's talk the- about that puppy, shall we? I was gonna say, okay. Yeah, the dog in this is actually worth talking about because the dog is just the dog is just kind of a greasy old tired geezer. But oh god, the voice that we got for him. Now that's something to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so we're moving over from the grandparents who flesh out the roles a little bit into what we're going to call the dogs and robots section of the movie. Because not all the characters have to be human. And in this case, like uh, Andrew was saying, we have the family dog, Yuko, who has been around for a while and has been felt understandably neglected after the children came along. Uh, You know, if you saw Lady and the Tramp and you know how dogs get treated when the kids come around, well, it's like they say, when the baby moves in, the dog moves out. But we also get insight from Yuko's perspective and that is why we got a voice to go with that and I can't wait to talk about this. We also have uh, near the end of the movie in the last vignette we have a trip to a bit of a terrifying train station. It's it's modeled on Tokyo Station which is absolutely huge and just as kind of like kids would envision it rightfully terrifying based on the size and because of that we needed a robot who is acting as kind of the lost and found director 
And so we have the Tokyo Station robot who is voicing that. So voicing these two, Yuko is voiced by, and I was so happy when I got to read this to Andrew, it's Crispin Freeman, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so glad. Remember when I was talking about the fact that uh, we speculate that Hasoda likes to do a doggy style? We know. Because Crispin fucking Freeman is playing it doggy style, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, he is. He gets, he gets to play not just uh, dog form Yuko, but he also gets in a vignette segment. Uh, he's personified as a full-grown human man who just happens to have a dog tail. As you do. And voicing the Tokyo Station robot is one Joe J. Thomas. Not quite as famous as Mr. Freeman, but equally as talented uh, from this film, I will say. I feel like I've recognized the name Joe Thomas before. I'm trying to think where where have I heard him. uh, Well, let's go through that a little bit. Um, what, What has Joe done before? Joe is definitely a voice acting person. He has been in hundreds of different roles before, dating back to the early 2000s. Um, let's see, uh, he was Oliver in Hero Mask. Oh, oh, okay, hang on, wait. You're gonna need to specify which Hero Mask. I didn't realize that there was more than one. Well, Mr. Noah Clues, sort of a fun little thing about the fact that Sentai Filmworks picked up uh, the home video rights to Hero Mask, but were not able to secure the rights to the Netflix English dub, so they straight up produced their own English dub of Hero Mask. So there are now two different dubs of the same show in the span of like two to three years? Okay, I see see now there's a Netflix dub and there's a Sentai dub. So... That's, um, I, I don't know why, uh, you would think that I was talking about the Sentai one, considering we're talking about an, a New and York... And Kaiji th- didn't get dubbed, remember that. Well, that, uh, not yet, it could still happen, hold out hope. It didn't get dubbed yet, I'll yeah. add on that. That's- Anyways, I, I was just, I was adding that on to be facetious. What else has he done? <laughs> okay, uh, so on top of being in the other dub of Hero Mask... Uh, he was also um, Shuji in Durarara, and he was uh, Nobunaga. Oh, he's the, he's the tired guy in that. Okay, I recognize him. Yep, that's one voice. And then um, for all you Hunter Hunter fans out there, he was Nobunaga Hazama in the the 2011 Hunter Hunter series. Oh, oh, he's the samurai guy from the Spiders. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm nodding. I haven't seen the show, but I'm nodding. Like, abs- yep, that's the one. That's the one cool. you're thinking of. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, he's been in a lot of different things. I just tried to pick out three random things there. Um, Now, uh, what's Crispin Freeman been in, on the other hand? Well, that's just a a really long list to pick from there, and I had a hard time narrowing it down. Like, do I, again, do I need to tell people what Crispin Freeman's been in? Like, he's Alucard in Helsing. He's uh, the the guy in Promare who's on all the posters. Not, Not the one missing a shirt, the other one. Like, uh, hang on, hang on. If you're gonna if you're gonna address him, you need to address him. Cray foresight. I can't do that. I, I can't match that. I'm, I'm gonna take your audio, and that's what we're gonna use to introduce him. 
And, I mean, yeah, Crispin Freeman's just been around a long time and did a lot of different things. Um, to differentiate up just a little bit, because we're talking about a New York-based dub, I'm like, he's also Electro in Spectacular Spider-Man, which is a show that I don't think was recorded oh, shit! in New York. But it was, it's set in New York, so I'm like, I'm just going to tie this back into where we started I from. I forgot! Yes! I forgot he was in that shit! And, Andrew, do, do, do you want to stop recording and just go watch Spectacular Spider-Man instead? We're already halfway through. I'm committed, come hell or high water, but I... But, but it's the tempting. temptation is there. It, it's tempting! It's tempting! <laughs> It's tempting. Spectacular <laughs> Spider-Man was really good, dude. It, it was. was a really, really good show. It was. It, it, it's one of the best things that Greg Weissman did. It, almost as good as Gargoyles. And it's a shame that it didn't get renewed for a third season, damn you, Disney. <sighs> oh, I'm still heartbroken about that. That was a good dub. I think there was other anime voice actors mm. in that show, too. Oh, wasn't, wasn't Ben Diskin Eddie Brock? Yes, he was. That's what I was thinking of. was like, well, speaking of anime voice actors, we had uh, Ben Diskin himself in uh, in that show as, uh, as Venom and, and uh, Eddie Brock. But we're not and, talking and about that dub. And I think now the current uh, Disney cartoon voice of Spider-Man is Robbie Damon, which, you know what? Good on him. Yes. Yeah, okay, we are we'll going talk, off track. We'll uh, we talk about spi- move Let's move from spiders over to dogs here. Andrew, I want to ask a very serious question about um, one of these characters here. Uh, sure, go for it. Is Crispin Freeman a very good boy? Mr. Clue, how many years has one Crispin Freeman been a part of the industry? How many characters has he defined from his voice, talent, and expertise of the industry alone? To ask... If Crispin Freeman is not the goodest of boys, seems like an understatement and a discredit to the years of talent, expertise, and fine-tuning his craft. Oh, you're talking about the character, aren't you? You're talking about the dog, right? I mean, all of those are accurate. I'm not discounting your claims, and I'm glad that you went off into, like, a a sermon there, almost. Like, how many roles must a man... Uh, perform to be a good boy. I say to you, my brothers and sisters. But more importantly, uh, I-, I am glad that this dialogue, that the script, finally acknowledges the truth of the industry, and that is that Crispin Freeman is, in fact, a good boy. I'm gonna be honest, like, the fact that like, this isn't even just, like, I was kind of worried this character was going to be a little more dickish because he was basically the third wheel of the family at this point. In that, yeah. in that you had the young child who took priority, and then you ha- have the younger, younger child. He wasn't even really bitter. He was just like, everybody got the attention, but now I'm not getting the attention anymore. And I'm not even getting the good dog food anymore. Which, by the way, I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy that the dog got his good dog food again. That was the entire purpose. This this movie, it wasn't, like, this movie was only created as a promotion for the good dog food. Ladies and gentlemen, go buy your dog's blue brand dog food. The good stuff with the end cap that costs $20 for a little bag of it. That is what your dogs actually want. Imagine if they put as much time, effort, as mo- and money into an anime dog food commercial as they do a cup noodles commercial. Or, cu- or cup noodles or McDonald's commercials. Oh, you're talking about weathering with you? Oh, you haven't seen the McDonald's promo anime? You mean weathering with you? 
No, no, oh my, oh, wow. Okay, there's half people listening to this. So there was like this immaculately animated um, McDonald's anime promo. Like it was commissioned by McDonald's, from McDonald's by a, a Japanese animation company. I don't know which one it was. This was a couple years ago, but it basically showed a young girl uh, interning at McDonald's and she has a senpai that is, you know, like training her from the ground up. And there's a second part where like they get together romantically at the end of the whole thing. And it's just this giant over the top animated spectacle to go to work for McDonald's. That's what it is. It, it's a it's a promo video for them. That's what I'm talking about. See, I haven't seen see, Weathering I, with you yet. Okay, okay, that makes a lot more sense. Okay, I, I know I have to. All right, I was I was doing I was being a bit bitchy there, but no, I actually I vaguely remember the McDonald's commercial, but that was uh that was a whole thing in and of itself. Um, I. You're telling me that Weathering With You has McDonald's promos. It's a big movie, so it doesn't have the fake McDonald's. It has big capital M money in it. Holy cow. Yes, that's what I mean. Anyways, ah, fuck, what was I talking about? Okay, so, going on more to talk about uh, Crispin Freeman. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the funniest thing after they have the reveal that you've just got the crotchety old man... Not even old, just... Middle-aged. I'm not even sure what I would say. He's not old. I wouldn't even call him, like, a dirty hobo-looking. He's just... He's 35, and you can tell he stopped trying three years ago. That's the aura I'd, I'd describe him. Yeah, I mean, the, the uh, credits don't even list him as uh, Dog or Yuko. They list him as Mysterious Man. Uh, even though we know who he is, he's, you know, the personification of the dog. It's like, the second, they... the second he throws the ball and he chases it, it's like, oh, that's who that is. <laughs> that was so great! I love that! I, I love, like, we had 15 minutes of, like, domestic chaos before this with the mom, And then mom, mysterious, dad, the grumpy kids. old man telling him off, and then he throws the ball and he chases it, and it's like, okay, that's, that's a good punchline. It was like, oh, that's... It, it, by Crispin, of all people. Like, it's... I, I can't imagine that half the joy didn't come from knowing that it's this uh, world-class, professional, like, Juilliard-trained voice actor. Which, the funniest thing uh, upon watching the rest of the movie is during the regular chaos of everyday life, where it's like the parents mm -hmm. are stressed, the child is being bratty, and the baby is crying, you hear barking, and then you recognize the barking is the very deep, dulcet tones of one professional grade industry voice actor Crispin Freeman and it's just it's just very funny because it's just they're just in the sea of family chaos there is just Crispin Freeman who got good money that day to bark like a dog <laughs> and because it, it's just a very deep woof 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 and it's like oh I hear Alucard in there nice uh I couldn't I admit I I couldn't pick that out myself. I, I I didn't realize that it was um. Oh no, those barks uh, were, those barks weren't just like pre-made like dog barks. No, that was Crispin Freeman very clearly. Yeah, now that you mention it, I'm like, yeah, the pitch was there too. It was it was a lot deeper, not, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's deeper, and it's it's not like super low, Crispin. It's you know, it's kind of that mid-range where he's being. Uh, uh, semi-intimidating, but not so intimidating that you, you don't think he's a good boy. But no, he he's he's very fun. His old man, his not old man, just yeah, I know what you're trying to say. He stop. 
you could tell he's been at the job he's been at for like five years now. He stopped putting in the effort to clean up like four years ago. So now he just goes in with a coffee, like three layers of bags under his eyes. And he just has like a bit of soup and he just doesn't care anymore. I'd love to see that version of The Office where it, he's a character in there. He's coming in with his uh, t-shirt that says, Is it Friday yet? And just got bad dad jokes everywhere. That Yeah, that's the character we needed in The Office reboot. Also, he secretly has uh, floppy ears and a tail. A as you have to. This this is the closest that we get to uh, the um, uh, not just the furry uh, fandom that uh, Hasoda seems to like to cater to in his movies. Uh, this is also the closest we get to that thing he was talking about in an interview where he wanted a movie focused on animals and children. This is the closest we get. Are this? What the hell is the boy and the beast? A movie no, literally no, about a child and an animal. I misspoke. I misspoke. I don't mean this is the closest that it gets in any of his movies. I mean this is the closest that it gets in this movie. Oh, okay, okay, that that makes more sense. Anyways, yeah, I I misspoke. Uh, that makes a lot more sense. I was gonna say all of his movies are about children and animals. The fuck you on about? Th yeah, this one. It, it, this is the least one about the animals. This is way more about the kids and terrifying the kids. That might explain. Just like that the robot. might explain why this one's maybe not as uh, critic. I mean, you could be nice and just say not as critically renowned, but yeah, we could be more blunt and say not as good. Anyways, if this had more animals, it would have been a little bit better. And the one animal it did had also was. Did you notice that for some reason uh, Yuko has some very jank CG a lot of the time? It's a mix. Uh, they he there's some discussion in the interview about and some of the background information from like his interview with Cartoon Brew where he talks about how they were trying to integrate more CGI into this than some of the other movies. Um, but I, I didn't notice it as much with Yuko. Like, I, I knew it was there. Like, I could tell when it switched over. But it didn't stand out to me as much as the hand-drawn stuff. Uh, I, it wasn't, like, terrible. But it was it was definitely a little uncanny at times. Especially in a lot more of the vibrant scenes of chaos. And the chaos is very vibrantly animated. And it, it's, it sort of, like, sticks out where everybody's moving around in pretty good gorgeously animated realistic chaos and then there's just mm -hmm. yuko who is clearly not running at the same frame rate as the rest of the movie and it's a little awkward. i got it i gotta admit i didn't notice that so i i'll have to go back and give that a rewatch so, but i will end off and say that i do think that crispin freeman did brought a very fun amusing bitter charm to this character he got some very good barks in. He was a very... And yes, he was a very good boy. I'm so glad we ended off on that line. Honestly, that, I... That's just, that's just a good movie? closer. It is such a good closer. And it's funny. I don't know if it was intentionally supposed to be funny in the original, but they definitely played it for laughs in the in the, uh, in the the dub. Mm, I don't know. I feel like just the fact that it's, it's just a good... It's just a good punchline. <laughs> To just hear a very gruff, tired old dog talk about how good they are. Because dogs are so good. Anyways, they are. Anyways, just to segue this a little bit, um, I'll say this much. Uh, I think the CG looked a lot better on 
the robots because it was way more stylized and dreamlike. Actually, quite quite literally storybook esque in his design and the way he moved. Like, I think some of the best benefits of the weird dream sequence future past segments. Thing. I mean, there there is no. It's. Have you ever seen the movie? Um. Uh. What's it called Slaughterhouse Five. Offhand, no. Let me get Mr. Amon Duel on speed dial. No, no, no. Hold, hold. We'll, we'll, we'll bring. We'll, we'll cue him in for when we actually cover that anime. When we cover the Slaughterhouse Five anime. But that's a move. That's a movie and a book. Consequently, where the character is experiencing time fourth dimensionally. So they're they're experiencing basically all time. Uh, timelines, possible timelines at the same time. I feel, I wonder if that was actually an influence on this. Actually, that movie was a big influence on a director who you probably know very well, Satoshi Kon. That does not surprise me at all. Yeah, the, the idea of uh, time traveling and it not being like linear, it's just kind of spontaneous. That That's a very Slaughterhouse Five kind of mentality. Okay. So, yeah, so I, I bring that up because this robot is definitely supposed to represent the, um, like this, this could be a future where uh, you know you are not wanted anymore, um, while still being a reflection of the real world. Because it, it's very much supposed to be like Tokyo Station, which is incredibly chaotic. If you've ever seen video or oh, I, I, just I mean, I can imagine Tokyo Station is just the pure epitome of chaos incarnate. Like that doesn't surprise me. Going a little more into like the robot, uh, I think he is very much just representing like a lost child, con- lost child conductor. He looks works at the place, but he very much has an aura of like fantasy store. Like, like I-, I mentioned earlier on in this that it feels like this was the empathy tree that it was like teaching like fables and morals and stuff to our main character. And I almost feel like he feels something out of, like, the climax of a children's storybook. Where it's like, this is like the nightmare scenario where it's like, if you don't behave and nobody want, nobody's gonna want you and come to get you. And I feel like Joe, in particular, has a very good clinical cold delivery. In that, I don't think he is... He is not particularly mean, but he is not particularly warm either. Um, he is purely amoral and indifferent. I think the intent in uh, both the original and Joe's delivery was to sound like an automated phone line. If you've ever gotten one of those pre-recorded automated lines that tell you, you know, press one for this option, press two for this one, and that kind of robotic, um, like, like I said, that robotic coldness is uh is disquieting but it's really kind of uh entertaining to know that they're they had a voice actor in the booth replicating that so it was uh, it was much more engaging like joe gave it a lot of ominous flavor that it plays up much more if you're a lost child obviously um but i i want to give props to that because that's not hard, that's not easy to do it's very easy to be monotone and sleep inducing with that kind of voice but he's not he is like uh, engaging robot mode. Like, if Wally had an actual speaking voice, it would be kind of like this. Okay, no, no, no. I feel like Wally would be much warmer than what Joe was giving off of. I, I, okay, I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, what's another famous robot that would have... Oh! The Iron Giant! There, it, it's kind of like uh, what the Iron Giant had. 
but without the family. And the gun. And the gun. Does he have a gun? He does not have a gun. Um, it, I mean, I'm glad... Uh, I was going to say, technically neither does the Iron Giant. He is. He both is and isn't one. He, he chooses not to be one. He could be one, but he chooses not to be. Man, Iron Giant's a fucking good it movie. It is. We should go watch that instead. All right, hold on, guys. We'll be right back in a minute. We're going to go watch the Iron Giant really quickly. 90 minutes later. Oh, Boy, that what was a good movie. Awesome. My God. Why God. Did they, they don't make movies Fuck. like that anymore. Warner Brothers was... Oh, my God. Why didn't nobody go see this movie when it was out? Oh, man. What were we talking about? See, I do want to go into an expose about the fact that Warner Brothers completely misuses and appropriates the image of the Iron Giant to be a much more violent and marketable character than he was ever originally supposed to be. But we should probably continue finishing the stuff talking. Yeah. So uh, I'll point out that um, Joe Good. So he Joe he, good. he is good. The um I, I'm glad that you picked up on that he's supposed to be uh, the character is supposed to be a storybook representation of a, like a morality character because the action like he looks he looks like a I, I, I almost want to say he looks like a very water like a very distinct watercolor like children's book pop design like. This feels like the the specifically the way his eyes and his hands do their things. Yeah, they feel like feel literally pulled out of a picture book. Well, that's that's good because it was actually animated and designed by a couple of picture book authors. The um, there's a book that doesn't surprise me at all. Actually, do you remember uh, near the beginning of the book when Mariah comes home and Kuhn is kind of uh, introducing the world to her? Uh, one of the things he does is show a picture book that has a, uh, a red-faced monster on the cover of it. Mm -hmm. so, oh, the one that the one that he would eventually call his mom. Yes, like just like that one. Um, that is a real book that is written by a wife and husband uh, artist group that does children's books who were commissioned specifically to design some of the background, some of the nightmare imagery and this robot character for the movie. Um, and it, uh, okay, credit where it's due. It's clear that Hasoda did not skimp out on the authenticity at all. Not at all. It, it it very very much looks like a character from something I would read. Yeah, which is is uh, why I appreciate that uh, it has different styles. I like it when movies have different animation styles. That's why I, I do like uh, Ralph Bakshi movies more than I probably should. Because they change up the style when it's appropriate. Like, they, they saved, in this movie, they saved the scary robot Clockman for a scene where it would be appropriate. Joe's got a very good, uh, authoritative, clinical, and dis distilled... That's a good word I could use to describe it. Very distilled. But no, I, I think he did a good job. Yeah. I think both Joe and uh, especially Crispin did a very good job with the fun little characters. Also, just because there's no place to really talk about it anywhere else. Man, isn't it weird that we just did Konohana Kiton relatively recently and they very briefly had a, uh, oh, hey, you're getting, uh, you're getting, uh, th that's uh, Yuko's uh, foster family. I was like, Wow, and they also represented them like people. It's like, man, really weird that they did that twice. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I didn't think about that connection. I I, I have to assume that it wasn't intentional. It's just, it's just oh, it was absolutely happened. not intentional. But, but the, I really doubt. I really doubt that Mamoru Hosoda had recently watched the very in 
very endearingly sweet, yet also horny, uh, <laughs> furry fox anime. Actually, no, that actually does sound like a speed knife. Look, just, just, I mean, you've seen Odd Taxi. He might not like it because they're a little too human looking. That's true. He was like, if they're not all covered in fur, then what's the goddamn point? No, he, would, he probably, he he's was, probably a bigger fan of the boss he was, than he is any of the other yeah, characters. Yeah, he was absolutely there for you, Papa. I was just about to say that that was what he tuned in for. <laughs> he was like, skip, all right, skip, 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 skip. Ooh, talking fo uh, older fox lady. Let's focus on this. Oh, she's she's fifty something, and she's a bigger authoritative fox lady. Ooh la la. <laughs> Oh god, we're gonna get so so much in trouble if he ever finds this episode. <laughs> we should get going. We should get going. All right, yeah, let's move on from this. These are good side characters. I wish they were actually in the movie more because that not only for the voice actors but for the roles they serve. But that's not what this kind of movie is. This movie is vignette central, and if you're not central to the vignette, then you're not gonna be in it. We didn't need the dog for the bike. Uh, learning how to ride a bike scene. We didn't need the robot for the time traveling back to see past mom scene. So we, we get them for where they are. Speaking of which, uh, wh what do you say we transition over here, we time travel rather, to talking about the I'd say we, let's meet the family. Let's meet the family. Yes, let's uh, get uh, family feud music playing up here. Da da da. Ladies and gentlemen, let's introduce everyone to Coon's mom and dad characters. Uh, more specifically, we're going to talk about mom, dad, and past mom, because this is a fourth dimensional time travel movie. We get to actually meet what mom was like when she was Kuhn's age, and oh boy. Oh, right. Was. Right, right, right. <gasps> yeah, we do. We do actually get to see uh, baby mama, and she kind of. She's kind of was a little shit in her past. That she was, and I'm glad that shows it, because it shows the underlying truth that no parent will admit, which is that their children's are just like they were when they were kids. Oh yeah, no, they very much were little shits growing up. Yeah. So let uh, so who actually voices them? And this this is where we get into the people who are on the DVD case. Uh the well two of them are. The other one is uh, also interesting. The mom is voiced by Rebecca Hall. The dad is voiced by John Cho. And the past mom is voiced by Madigan Kakmar. Now, I'm going to start with Madigan first and foremost, uh, what, what she's done before. We talked about her on this podcast before. You may not believe it, but yes, uh, this younger actress has been featured on this podcast because she was Oko in the Madhouse film Oko's In, which we covered uh, just last year as a Patreon request. And I thought I recognized that name. I was like, I feel like I've seen that name somewhere before. You did, okay. you did. And that's why, yeah, Madigan doesn't have uh, as many credits as some of the other people on this list, but that's okay because she was great in Oko's In. Like, I, I really enjoyed her in there, and I enjoyed her in this too. Spoilers. Um, if you were like, oh, I've never seen Oko's In. Have I heard her in anything else? Uh, well, if you saw Psychic School... Uh, you may recognize her. Uh, she was Kenji's sister. But if you don't watch anime at all, and you only watch children's preschool pro cartoons like Chuggington, then you've heard her there too, because she played Coco in Chuggington Station, which is the not quite as good as Thomas the Tank Engine, but people still like it nonetheless. I watch a, okay. I watch a lot of preschool shows. Some of them not entirely funny. I'm not surprised. I mean, I like Bluey, okay? I think it's a good show. Okay, okay, no, 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 wait, 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 okay. So, I can actually, you know what? <laughs> I can actually talk to you about Bluey. We... Uh, Steph and I watched 
three episodes at my brother's place on Disney Plus with his kids. Did you like that? That is an a Yes! <laughs> I actually really like Bluey! Thank you! I'm glad! I thought I was I thought me and Don Bennett were the only ones. No, Bluey's adorable! It's really funny and charming and like no, I, I was very entertained by it. I was like, I actually got a couple of good giggles. Uh my my brother and his, my brother and his wife were like, oh my god, we love watching Bluey. It's so it's so funny. It's so good. <laughs> That's a good. Noah, it is not just you. Bluey is actually genuinely really really good. You want to know? So here here's you don't want to know why that show exists. Like its entire genesis for existing. Why actually? I don't know. I don't know anything about it other than that it is it, unabashedly Australian. I mean, it, it is, and th maybe you'll appreciate this in that it's not only unabashedly Australian and that it actually gets funding from the Australian government. Uh, it was actually created by an animator who is also a dad, in case you couldn't guess, who uh, worked on Peppa Pig, and essentially he wanted to make the Australian version of that show. So if you ever wondered, like, did Peppa Pig influence any other shows? Oh, hell yeah. A lot of shows have wanted to be the next Peppa Pig. And Bluey is absolutely that. Except it's way more chaotic and honestly way more entertaining than Peppa Pig ever could be. Honestly, I agree with you. <laughs> we, but... we, we could do a whole episode on Bluey some other time. Not that it has a... Anyways, I just, I just wanted to... Uh, de I know we derailed that. I just wanted to say, no, Bluey actually was very entertaining. Go watch it, Pete. It... Uh, you're not alone. You're not alone, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be justified in that. But yeah, Madigan Kakmar is not in Bluey. She's in Chuggington, but she's in this movie too, so we'll talk about her. Let's also talk about uh, the voice of the uh, present-day mom, and that is one Rebecca Hall. Now, have you heard Rebecca Hall in anything else before? Possibly, but not really much voice work. She does mostly live-action stuff. Um, in fact, I believe this may be the only voiceover credit on her resume, because all of her other credits are actually pretty high-profile movies. Um, if you've seen The Prestige, she played the character of Sarah. Uh, if you've play, if you, it played, if you watched Iron Man 3, she plays the character of Maya. Or, um, or if you uh, saw uh, Kong vs. Godzilla... Which, that's probably the most high pro recent high-profile thing that people have seen. Uh, she plays the character of Eileen. Now, I haven't seen Kong vs. Godzilla yet, so I'm not sure how prevalent she is in that movie. But that that's still kind of a big get, you know, that you got a legitimate, credited Hollywood actress uh, to voice the mom in this movie. But the person that all of you have probably heard more than anyone else, not just in this section, but also of the entire cast, is the dad voiced by John Cho. And I mean, mm. let, let's just let's just cut straight to the chase here. You may not know the name John Cho, but you know him because he's Harold in the Harold and Kumar series. Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Harold and Kumar go to Guantanamo. Harold and Kumar the lunchbox. The kids will love it. I mean, that's where I know him from. Uh, but do you know him from anything else? Out of curiosity, Andrew. Uh, yes. Um, there was this. There was actually this really good, like, you know there's a lot of movies that like to do that, uh, this movie was filmed through the entirety of, like, a computer, or, like, a computer, uh, desktop. The desktop where movie. Where it's happening. Yep. Uh, it, John Cho starred in that, called Searching, and he was fantastic in that, and that was probably, like, one of the best uses of that premise slash gimmick, and actually kind of genuinely enhanced 
the movie a lot better in ways I was expecting. He was really good in that. See, I, I really liked him. I think I may have seen parts of it, but like you said, there are a couple of different desktop movies that I'm not sure which one it was I actually saw. A lot of them are horror movies, and a lot of them are terrible. It, it was a horror movie, yes, and it probably wasn't. The, I don't know if the one I saw was the good one or the bad one, but okay, so yeah, you, you knew John Cho going into this. Um, yes, I did. Yeah, and he has done voice work as well. Um, if you saw the recent movie Over the Moon, which is uh, the m new movie directed by Glenn Keane. Uh, he plays the father in that one, who is a son of a bitch who dares to fall in love with another woman after his wife dies. How dare you do that, Dad? No, I, I'm not judging. That's frowned upon? That, it's not. It's, it's the central conflict of the movie, though, is that the main character is a girl whose uh, mom dies, and years later her dad uh, starts to fall in love with another woman who is a very nice woman, but, you know, daughter's not big on having a new stepmom. Uh, okay, tension's about new family. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But you know what? Everyone is going to re reintroduce to John Cho coming up soon because, and this is for the future, uh, he's going to play Spike Spiegel in the live-action Cowboy Bebop series that's coming out later this year. Even if that's not good, it's still going to have Yoko Kano at the helm, so it's going to be at least worth something. It's going to be at least audible gold. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I don't even know what the last anime I saw with Yoko Kano scoring it was. It's been a while. Hmm. Anyways, so let's talk about this section here about the parents here. Um, uh, I want to talk about uh, the uh, Madigan really quickly so, here. If that's okay, okay, that's what that's how you want to start this. Okay, yeah. sure, let's talk. Well, about because it. she's uh, it's vignette centric, like I said. So we we get to go back in time, and Kuhn meets his mom in the past as kind of an acknowledgement that uh, all the problems that he's causing for his mom. Uh, she's caused for her mom in the past as well, and it's... It's a cycle. Like, history, we are doomed to repeat it, whether we realize it or not. And she's not just uh, rambunctious. She is she is destructive. She is, like, if you put Dennis the Menace and every rambunctious female anime protagonist together and just infuse them with dynamite, because she intentionally goes out of her way to destroy the house and has a good time doing it. Just straight up, like, violet. It, it's it's kind of like insane terror. But what's that? But what's that one? She line? does a good job selling. What? I was like, what's that one line she has where she spills? She takes all the snacks, and Coon's like, "Well, we're not supposed to have these." And she's like, "Yeah, but doesn't it taste better when you're not supposed to have it?" And he's like, "I was like, oh, that's a that is a dangerous train of thought, child. You're like what six? At, at like that, that. That's gonna get you in trouble. I think she was supposed to be four. I think she was supposed to be the exact same age that Kuhn is. Uh, maybe? Okay, yeah, she's probably like at least like four or five or something. Uh, either way, you're right. That's a that's a dangerous mentality, and Madigan absolutely sells it. Like you can hear her smiling when she like the character smiles. You can hear Madigan smile when she delivers lines that are mischievous and obviously very. Much like how children think. I won't discount them for that. They got it right. I feel like the movie is actually stronger, the strongest in this scene because it's so unrestrained and you get to actually watch all, so much animated destruction. And they do a good job selling it. I'd say Madigan really does a good job selling herself as this young, rambunctious, but... I believe this is a child who has conflicted emotions about her life, but also genuinely does care. She's just very much in her 
bratty phase right now, and she does a good job playing the whole crocodile tears thing at the beginning, and then just being a little destructive terror. But no, Madigan sells that especially well. She does, and I, again, like I kind of wish that we'd gotten a bit more of this. Um, the, the movie's not structured like that, so what makes me upset is we get these really good vignettes like that have good little lessons in them, but they're they're only that they're just vignettes. They're not like like how entertaining do you think the movie would have been if Kuhn is like accumulating characters as the movie goes along and they like join him on an adventure rather than just being disposed of once their segment is finished okay so basically build an RPG party of his family through time yes yes make it Bill and Ted's awesome family reunion oh you know what I actually oh god I do I do like that promise better actually <laughs> shit um Anyways, so I'll say this. I think Madigan does a great job as Little Mom. I don't think I can extend the same to Rebecca. Okay, thank, okay. I'm glad you said that because I, I know you said at the beginning that there was like at one person in the cast who you weren't super crazy about. And was, it's Rebecca. I was thinking, it, yeah. it's, it's Rebecca. Okay, so go ahead and tell us why exactly that is. Because, you know, she, she's got credits. She's got a career. Why doesn't it quite work for this performance? Here's the reality. Uh, screen acting and even prelay acting are different skill sets than dubbing. And sometimes people are able to fit into both with relative ease. And some people you really, really, really need to train and work at it. I feel Rebecca is the most in this film where it's clear, like, oh, you are not familiar with this at all. Mm -hmm. And it just sounds a lot more stilted. And, I like, there's a lot of lines where it sounds like she is really rushing to fit the flaps yeah. and the timing. It's like, I feel like there's a couple of times where it's like, you can tell people are able to flow... Like, sometimes it's like when you have a certain amount of time and breath to take. Mm -hmm. Like, people know how to kind of, like, when you're dubbing, you learn how to expand and basically stagnate the way you say things, how you say it, and how you how you deliver it in this amount of time. Rebecca, I feel like it's the most clear that she is, she is delivering the line, but she is rushing to fit the a lot the flap mm -hmm. and the timing and you can hear there's a lot of ways where it's like where she starts off fine and okay but you can tell near the end of like a sentence or two that she's kind of like instead of just going from like this is the sentence that i am saying right now it goes from this is this this is the sentence i am saying right now and it's like it, it sounds just slightly faster just to match with the timing and it it sounds weird and it, it sounds very inconsistent i think she has a couple of good moments. She has very when she when she's a little more sentimental about the parenting, talking with the dad and all that. She does good stuff. I think it's when she's yelling and being frustrated and flabbergasted with her children is when she's at the worst because she she has to talk very fast. She needs to be very like angry and stern and fast and it, like it, it sounds awful. It's not... I was wondering if that reaction, which I had a very similar reaction to you, I was wondering if that was because she's not written to be the uh, the most chill mom in the world. Like, contrast this with uh, the mom from Wolf Children, who was uh, almost sanctimoniously angelic. 
Uh, this one is the complete opposite of that. She is very intentionally short-tempered, uh, more business-centric, kind of condescending, and not really the kind of person who I would trust with my children, to be completely honest. But I don't know if that was an intention... Like, I don't know if Rebecca's performance enhanced that and made me dislike her even more, or if that's just the way the character was written. I want to say it's because of the way it was written, but because Rebecca's deliveries are are more business than mom, it's just the best way I can put it, like, she sounds like a business lady, not a mom character. There's not a whole lot of warmth in there, even in the more sentimental moments. There's like one or two sections where she chills the heck out and is actually, like, more sentimental, but then she starts to lose her marbles a little bit more again. I mean, for not for bad reason, Kuhn is driving her absolutely insane, and I get that, but she, you're not supposed to lose your mind as the parent, too. You're supposed to be the calming agent. You're supposed to show your kids the right way to behave. I had problem. I had a lot of problems with this, and you're, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I don't believe that she had the best direction when it comes to getting a live-action actress into prelay work. It's a, it's a tough challenge to overcome. You have to emote a lot. You have to get emotions through only with your voice. And if you're, if you're just not experienced with it, it's hard to break through into. And it's like, I don't think she is bad, because there are definitely moments where she legit has some uh, very good, like, sincere emotional delivery and sincerity. But I feel like she is the most clear-cut case in the movie that they wanted somebody with a, with a higher profile who was definitely struggling with the medium a lot. Yeah, she she got she got top billing on. I'm looking at the home video release right now, and it's John Cho on one side, Daniel Day Kim on the the other side, and right in the middle above the title, Rebecca Hall. That that kind of checks out, and it's like on the one hand. On the one hand, that is, I know it's a rough thing to be tricky, but I almost don't, but I don't want to pr uh, sit here and pretend that it's fine or give her benefit of the doubt that this was her first time doing it, when there was literal children probably doing <laughs> this for the very first time, and sounding better. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't disagree with you there. And you, you know me, so I, it, I'm the empathetic. It's it's kind of, like, I feel bad saying that, but it's like, I, it's, an unfa it's an unfair thing was, like, when, yeah. yeah. I, I don't, again, I think she was directed to have, uh, you know, a more stern voice to her, but you can be stern and still have good deliveries. You can have believable deliveries. This did not quite hit the mark on that regard. I will... But yeah, I, I think she, she has good moments, but I think overall she is the shakiest and probably weakest performance in this stuff. I won't say the same for John Cho, who makes the dad extremely endearing and fun. That he does, and I, I want to talk about the dad energy in this, because there's something that you and I were talking about before we started recording about, like, Noah, you're a dad, right? Like, yes, I am. You are the most dad among the Dub Talk podcasts. Which is... And by most, I mean you are technically the only, but you are at least top three in dad energy. Well, thank you. And I'm not I'm not sure if you put all the Dub Talk men in a lineup and said pick out the most dad energy. I don't know if anyone would pick me out just from that, from the get-go. But that's okay. 
because being a dad is more than just like how much facial hair you have or how low your voice is. It's also how much shit you can put up with. And the father in this movie also has to put up with a lot of shit. So John's entire delivery is, uh, it's like, he, he retains his cool even when he's stressed out because that is such a dad way to handle things. Like, dads, at least the good ones, there are ones who lose their temper. I, I've known some who don't handle situations very well, but the ones who are more chill aren't doing so because they don't care. They're doing it because they know how difficult things are for other people and they feel themselves as, I have to be the, the rock, I have to keep things under control here or no one else is going to. And that's the that's the effect I get from John's performance. It's it's interesting because um uh any uh any uh actor who gets to make animal noises and collect a paycheck, that's a good day. I love the the little scenes where uh he's like making animal noises. Uh I think it's at Mariah actually just to try to make her laugh and feel better. Like that's also a very dad energy uh performance. Like, the entire arc of this movie is him basically learning how to carry his kids, both figuratively and literally, in the case of Mirai. Yeah. Now, I don't have... I mean, I have direct experience with what he's going through in more ways now than when I first watched this movie, because y'all may know of a little thing that we're uh, still going through known as the... Uh, pandemic that has uh, shut down a lot of offices and forced a lot of people to work remotely. Y'all remember that? It is quite... Uh, we're, some of us are still going through that. We are, I, I say it's still going on, because I know some people are back in the offices. Not everybody is. But... Boy, is it still going on in Japan. Don't, don't, uh, don't, don't get rid of the mask just yet, people. Stay safe and don't be stupid. Um, but the reason I put that up is uh, there's the bit in the movie where uh, the father is taking care of the kids all on his own without the wife because she's gone back to work uh, in an office. Now, his animation and the fact that his face gets blue at some point really plays up the idea that uh, he's not handling it as well as he could right from the get-go. You know, he's fumbling, he's burning the food, he didn't take the rice out to defrost, so he's got to eat it as this big chunk. He's rushing to get kids to and from places. Now, that's difficult it really is and i guess i can respect that hasoda decided to put himself in the movie to show how difficult it is to be a dad i'm not sure i appreciate how helpless the movie made it look they made it seem like this is the best you can do like there, there was no crowning moment of accomplishment where the dad like figured out how to do it correctly so it wasn't so overwhelming the movie just kind of stops and acknowledges that, no, I'm not perfect, but I'm happy enough with who I am and how I'm doing this job. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no. I, I think just in general, John has a warmth and sincerity to this character that is just infectious. And it's it just like, he, to me, is the most... I guess this is the character you most want to root for in this film mm -hmm. because he is just he is doing his best he doesn't always know how to do his best no, he but he is trying so goddamn hard and like when you see the small victories like when uh, Mirai is riding the bike and he's cheering him on uh, or when he manages to finally hold little baby Mirai and 
when his wife finally starts to let her guard down a little bit and re- relax after he it's shown that he's really started to get a hang of things. Mm-hmm. Like, he he is he is the most recognizable, sympathetic, and charming person in this film. And I I jokingly said you don't you disagree with me, but I feel like this to me is like a very like this to me is the character that made it clear to me that Mirai is a I just became a dad movie <laughs> through and through. Like this is the most This is not a 57th Prime Minister Shinzo Abe <laughs> propaganda as I have mentioned prior. This is no, I had a kid. I had sex, and I am raising children. <laughs> this is what it's like. It's it's good. It's also terrible, but it's also honest. It's honest. I'm just I I don't know. It's just I'm not sure. I, I okay. I appreciate that there are very few films like this that show the how difficult it is. Like they make it painfully clear that it's not all sunshine and roses. It's not always like. You know, the, the cutesier shows we were talking about where parenting feels more idyllic than it is. There are stressful moments, too. I'm just not sure that it belonged in a movie that's supposed to be focusing on the child themselves growing up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's... But I can't fault John's performance at all. It is absolutely fitting for this role. And it's, uh, honestly, it's a little different than the Japanese. Like, the Japanese was a tiny bit lower than this, and... Uh, I guess a little more archetypal, whereas John is just a very, uh, I don't want to say chill, because he's got his uh, freak-out moments, too, where he's kind of losing it, but he never lets that affect the people around him. It's he's John is very aware of the stress that the other characters are under, it feels like, and so he plays the character up as as chill as you can be under the stressful circumstances. He is the rock that everybody in the room needs them to be. Yes. E- even if we get to see his own insecurities in the process. But no, I think he's he is genuinely just a sweet character and I feel John plays him with such a level of warmth and heart that like you could tell that even John himself wouldn't surprise me if he was putting a lot of his own experiences as a parent into this character. That's a good point. I, I'm not sure. I, I actually don't know much about his personal life, so I don't know if he's uh, actually a father or not. It, it just feels like there is a level of... if Even if it wasn't his personal life, this feels like something like I had a parent, like my parent uh, or yeah. my grandparent was putting a lot of themselves... In, like he was putting a lot of channeling a lot of them into this role. This feels like that kind of character. Fair, yeah, that's a good point. That's and all three of these characters, honestly, like they they do represent uh, different personalities that Kuhn interacts with, which honestly is pretty much the whole spectrum of parenthood. You know, you start as a kid, you grow up, and you become a parent, and even then, you may not grow out of your childlike ambitions. There's a lot of uh, the theory of the movie seems to be that parents are just big kids who have to deal with all the stress. And sometimes you just want to acknowledge how your child insecurities still carry over into your adulthood. Which I don't think that's a mm-hmm. bad mentality. That's actually a very nice mentality. Mm-hmm. But no, I feel like uh, John in particular was uh, very, very good and... I, I feel bad that I was beating the whole thing about Rebecca, but it's just like, 
it's the kind of thing where it's like when you're bringing in higher profile people with very little uh, voice acting credits, mm-hmm. you you always run this risk. Yeah, it's it's not like they didn't have a wide pool to pull from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that that being said, I think it's time to actually talk about the kids. Let's. Are we ready to finally discuss the two child stars of the movie? Yes. Oh. Yes, I am. Excellent. Now, there's actually three actors to talk about here because, again, we're dealing with wibbly wobbly, timely wimely. So we got technically only one of them is a child. Oh, that's a good point. That that's okay. So technically, there are four characters, but we're only going to talk about three actors because we're going to talk about the main character Coon, the four-year-old boy who gets a brand new sister, and we're going to talk about his sister Mariah, but not as her current newborn self. We're actually going to talk about future Mariah, which, fun fact, the word Mariah in Japanese actually means Min- future. Means future. I know very vague amounts of Japanese, but even I knew Mirai means future. So you can like I, I've heard that a lot of times. I mean, well, they- it's a good na- <laughs> it's a good name. It is. I've never heard that before. Like I don't know any other characters who have that name. Uh, I believe a character in Beyond the Boundary has that name, but that's only from Google searching, if I'm not mistaken. That is the main character uh- of. Beyond the Boundary. Yeah, I had to point it out because I knew that Megan would rip my head off if she heard this and said, You, it's from Beyond the Boundary. Go watch some good cartoons for once, you cartoon man. Go watch some good cartoons, you cartoon man. I'll do that right now. I feel like that was very much censored for television. Yes, it was. Because this is obviously <laughs> getting a television broadcast. But yeah, so Mirai is in this movie as her future self. She interacts with Kuhn as, I believe she's supposed to be a middle school character based on the age. She, she, it's hard to tell. I, I, I think she's at least, I think she's at least a senior in middle school mm-hmm. or a freshman in high school. Yeah, one of the two. I think you're right. Um, she's actually, fun fact, the Japanese seiyu for Mirai was actually the same one who voiced Yuki in Wolf Children. Really? Yep. And we're, I know we're not That's talking fun. about the Japanese audio, but that I, I like that. I, I like when directors, you know, bring back characters from their previous movies. Um, but we get to talk about also future Kuhn in this section as well, very briefly, because there's a brief segment in near the end of the movie where we get to see Kuhn as a high schooler, and he actually has his own voice actor, so we will talk about that. Who voices these characters? Oh boy, this I, I I'm so excited for this. I've been waiting all year for this. So Coon is voiced by Jaden Waldman, Mirai, future Mirai, or Mirai Mirai Chan, as they say in the Japanese. I I think I think she is also baby Mirai too. No, she's not. There's um uh, she's actually voiced by I believe they kept the original Japanese audio for the baby voice uh, because she's uh, she's credited as uh, something Hondo. I, I didn't write that down. I really should have. Really? Uh, oh, here we okay. go. Hayade Hondo. Okay, so they, they just kept the baby audio there. Interesting. Yeah, so, okay. yeah. so uh, like I said, um, old enough to speak Mariah's voice by Victoria Grace. And then the segments where we get to meet Kuhn in the future is voiced by Evan Smith. Now, uh, let, let's start at Evan Smith. What's he done before? Um, I'm curious. I, I mean, you uh, probably have not seen or heard of him in much, unless you're a big fan of direct-to-video uh, CGI animation, because he's done a lot of that, and that's probably why um, he was in good connections with NYAV Post, because he's done a good job as Spleeve in Screechers Wild, or Deuce Gorgon in the Monster High franchise. Monster High is this franchise where 
It's like high school doll characters, but all the characters are monsters. I am vaguely, vaguely familiar with Monster High. I yeah. watched some of those at my old job. Okay, so you're not... Okay, so I don't know if you know this character. I, I know there's a couple of anime voice actors who have wound up in Monster High movies. Yes. I know that much. Yeah, so that's where you may have heard uh, Evan before. Um, and maybe just one last thing. There's this, another franchise called Ever After High, which is... I, I don't have direct experience with it. From what I understand... I'm going to take a guess... I'm gonna take a guess that that is uh, fan that is uh, princess storybook fairy tale characters, but in high school. Well, ding, ding, ding! Good guess, man. You must have extensive knowledge of this franchise. I have approximate knowledge of many things, Mister Nia Clue. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent to hear, Andrew. Uh, so yeah, Evan fa- voices uh, the character of Daring Charming in that franchise. So he's definitely got experience playing uh, dreamy high school characters, which is, um, well, I'll let you just... This is not a dreamy character. This is a 15-year-old kid who's trying to get... He's he's not even, like, a dreamboat. He's in his Blink-182 phase. But that can be appealing for some people. There, there are plenty of girls out there watching this, like... They, they weren't on the Backstreet Train. They weren't on the InSync Train. No, they were hardcore into the, uh, uh, was it like some 41 Blink-182 number number band thing? They were into that. Hot Topic has a crowd for a reason. Noah, I feel like you're aging the further we go into this episode. My, my it's kind of amazing. Photographs and record players were the hot thing when I was a kid. I was hip, but then what was hip changed. I was once with it, and now I'm not. It, it and was, I, I fell out of it, and it will happen to you. To you. <laughs> yes, Simpson reference here. All right, moving on to the other performances. Victoria Grace. Where have you heard Victoria Grace before? So she is uh, actually has experience in other anime before. Uh, if you saw the new dub of Tokyo Godfathers, she played the character of Miyuki in that movie. Uh, now, uh, there's also some obscure stuff in here, like, uh, there's this new series out called The Casa Grandes, uh, she voices the character of Cindy in that, and there's this- Wait, Casa Grandes? Wait, is that the Loud House spinoff? Uh, okay, uh, uh, maybe it's not as obscure as I thought it was. I was gonna say, I, th- I think that's the Loud House spinoff. It is the Loud House cool. spinoff. I'd... Cool! I haven't gotten around to watching it yet, though, so I don't have a whole lot of experience with the, the thing itself. I know The Loud House, I, I just don't know the spinoff. I know The Loud House because it's literally one of... You know your show is good when it's the only Nickelodeon has decided to let it live alongside Spongebob instead of Barry. It is one of the only things that is on... I feel is on daytime Nickelodeon these days. You open up... It, the... It's literally just Spongebob or Loud House. Yeah. Yeah, so she, yeah, like I said, she, Victoria voices Cindy in that one, and then there's, um, uh, she's also done prelay for non-Japanese animation redubs as well, um, uh, one example, uh, there's this, I believe it's a Korean animated movie called Ying Yang Master, where she plays the character of Long Ye, so as opposed to some actors we talked about here, she has, she does have extensive knowledge in prelay voice work before, before this. But okay. the big one I want to talk about, and I flipped my lid when I realized this, is the voice character for Coon, Jaden Waldman. Now, I actually, oh wait, does he actually have other credits? He does. He has one of the, okay, this is only for the people who, you know, actually uh, watch um, 
watch preschool shows. So he's done the usual things you would expect. Like he's done additional voices in other uh, Cinder Nicholas, Shay directed anime like Tokyo Godfathers and Weathering With You. Uh, he, okay. he played the character of Mast Boy in Neza, which is another one of those uh, Korean... Oh, oh Neza! That's, that's a... I think that's a Chinese anime-mated dub, actually. Is that one? Okay, I couldn't tell if it was Korean or Chinese. I apologize. I, th- I think Neza is Chinese. Okay. I think that... Isn't that the one that stars Alex Lee? I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. I, I'm going to double-check that. Okay, but that's not where I knew him from. I knew Jaden Waldman from one thing and one thing in specific... Andrew, do you watch any PBS programming, like modern airing PBS programming? Okay, correction. I was thinking of Legend of Hay, not Nezha. Nezha is uh, other characters. Uh, sorry, what about modern PBS? Do, do you what? Are you familiar with any? We've already established that you're a big fan of Bluey, but are you familiar with any other modern airing PBS programming? Modern? I can't. I can't really say modern. I'm familiar okay. with. I'm familiar with a couple of stuff like Arthur and Cyberchase in the world. Jesus Christ! That's st- now you're aging yourself. That stuff's been airing since the '90s. But that. Yeah. Okay. So okay. The reason I ask is because Jaden plays the uh, the co-starring character Peter Riffick in the PBS series Pinkalicious and Peter Riffick. And that is that a good show? It is a very good show. Um, it has this uh, really intriguing paper cutout collage style animation. The main character of Pinkalicious is like this very precocious elementary school girl who basically fills the world with color and art. And a lot of the show is very bizarre in the adve- in the imaginary adventures that they get up to. Um, so, and he's been doing that for a while. Like, that show's been running for multiple seasons. I highly recommend it for your preschooler. It is a good addition to watch in between the, uh, Let's Go Lunas and other stuff that's airing on there that I'm too ashamed to admit that I watch. So, good on Jaden. Noah, Noah, you are on a podcast talking about anime, and we've discussed some trash in the past. I think you you will be forgiven if you watch a children's cartoon with your children. Okay, fine. All right, everyone, go watch Martha Speaks, okay? If I had to recommend one other PBS Kids Go show that is not P- Pinkalicious, watch Martha Speaks. The sass and sarcasm in that show is off the chain. I don't know how they got away with it on for, with national funding, but it is really good. Go, You've read the book. Go watch the cartoon Martha Speaks. Now, let's talk about this show right here because... Oh, this segment is paid for by viewers like you. Thank you. We'll get to those who actually did help pay for this later. But let's talk about, uh, uh, I guess... Um, Shall we uh, uh, just talk about Evan very quickly to get uh, his uh, brief segments? Because he doesn't have a major presence in the movie, but he does show up. I I appreciate the fact that he was just this random teenager that was just chilling, and I was able to be like, oh, that's him, isn't it? It was like, oh, is that the main character in the future? We've done everyone else. It better. It's- We've done everybody else. Yeah. So it's just like, okay, don't go on that train, buddy. And I, I love the fact that he genuinely looks just very sour in that he he's not like this is not a kid who does anything bad he, he you know what he reminds me of as a teenager he looks like ryuji from toradora just he in, does in his scowl mm-hmm. the eyes aren't as beady but yeah I, I he does have the scowl to go with it i look forward all right all right i'm not sure how meta i want to go with that one but anyways um 
I, I, I just think he, he's got a very, like, sour, butthurt, teenage disposition to him, and I think the delivery very much comes through in that. I think Evan does a good job mm-hmm. making him sound like he, he care. He sounds like he cares, but he doesn't care. Yeah. He is quintessential teenager through and through, and I think Evan does a good job selling that. He's definitely had experience voicing that kind of character archetype before and because this character is so uh is kind of inconsequential to the overall plot we get to see him telling his past self don't get on the train and then we get to see a clip of him in the future where he's he's just kind of give us an acknowledgement that he did grow up to have a good relationship with his sister but evan doesn't play it off as like a a heartless or monotone it's exactly the kind of teenage angstiness that the character needed without being uh dry or forgettable so i i commend him for that it was a small performance in this but like they say there are no small roles there are only small voice actors now let's talk about the two main ones shall we wow does victoria uh need to be in this movie more i was honestly kind of sad that mariah was not like uh like continuously shown throughout the movie she shows up I thought she was going to be a more major player than she actually was. She was maybe in, like, two vignettes in the finale. Yeah, yeah, she's in the segment at the the very first vignette where she's telling Kuhn, stop putting crackers on my face, and... Well, technically she wasn't in the first. The dog came first, and then she came out. Oh, you're right. I I got my order mixed up. That's another problem I have with this movie, is that I feel like the vignettes, you could shuffle them and show them in any random order, and the movie wouldn't suffer for it. The only one that really needed to be done was the one at the The end. Yeah, you're right. Like, the rest of these, literally, you could break them in an outer order. The only order they're in is just the fact that time is technically moving how much time actually does pass in the real world in this Can, okay it's we, unclear well let's see well we start technically uh before coon is born because we see like a photo montage of uh you know pregnant mom coon being born and then time passes he becomes four years old but the actual story of the movie i, I meant like the actual film yeah. that was like the pre um i'm gonna say probably about six months because the very last thing we see is baby Mirai. Uh, being able to mimic her older brother, like, vulture, ra- or, um, what's it, raptor screamings, like, <laughs> whatever animal they're trying to replicate. <laughs> so that's, yeah, I'd say about six months' time. Oh, that seems like a fair bet, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Victoria did a really good job. It's, it's, it's like in contrasting to some of the other uh, non- experienced voice actor characters we talked about she's very clean she's very professional sounding very sisterly and all the flavors of mirai that comes off in the animation is reflected in the way she speaks we get like a little bit of shyness where she's trying to like there's a tiny little bit where it sounds like she's got a crush on a boy and because she says like you have to put the dolls away or else i can never get married it's like do you have a a boy in mind she's like it's not important it's not important like you can tell, very, very uh, adolescent there. It's great. Yeah, yeah, adolescent. That's a good way to put it. And there, there wasn't like a sour delivery in the whole thing. I don't think. Um, even you know what I love? What was it? The what was it like the bumblebee dance? Oh yeah. Oh um the uh st- yeah trying to make him laugh by uh shake shake 
circle, circle, and now here come the stingers! Where, and then she just kind of like, <laughs> stick, 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 and she just starts poking him, and he's just genuinely like, he's like, he's just laughing and yucking it up. And that, I love that scene. That was, I was like, and he's like, can you do that again? I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh that's so funny. It was cute. It was very adorable. It's like, that, that feels like what a good way for siblings interacting is. Like, I've had positive Oh, no, that was adorable. <laughs> That was adorable. And Victoria plays that well, too. Like, she, she, like you could feel her, like, dancing around in the booth while saying it, almost. And it's just like, you can, you can feel that. Like, oh, it's, it's just... But no, I think Victoria's just got a great energy, sincer sincerity, and charm to Mirai. She does. And like you were saying... Like, 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 she does a great job with what she's got. I wish we got a little more of her. Mm -hmm. That being said, like, I think she's good, but she is definitely not the standout. The standout is bar none, Kuhn. This is the one who the movie was entirely made for, because, um, well... And this isn't easy to be a kid, and to carry an entire anime dub on your shoulders. <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting graphic, just the idea of, like, 10-year-old Jaden Waldman, like, carrying this entire production on his back like i feel like the maid i just cleaned up around here i gotta do everything myself but you know there are some really like you find uh young actors who are super into their craft um like stories about um okay have you seen the movie the brave little toaster i have all right you know the character of blanky mm -hmm. this is actually voiced by a kid probably about the same age that Jaden was when they recorded this actually so the director of the movie was doing a Q&A where he talked about how the kid character was, like, the most professional of all of them. Like, he was the one who would say, so what's my motivation? And uh, keep in mind, you're surrounded by a bunch of professional uh, improv actors in that movie, and then you get the one kid who's giving it 110%, and you're like, god damn, kid, that is awesome. That is admirable. Like, I want to be that professional. And I kind of feel the same way about Jaden here, because not only does he obviously have the, the skills to pull off a uh, regular in a TV series, as he's done in Peterific, but in this movie, he carries all of the realistic, self-absorbed little brother energy throughout the whole thing. I, I don't know how long they took to record this. Like, I have no idea how long the sessions went for, but I, I feel like you can't get up to this level of energy unless you've just got that natural drive and talent, and he's definitely got that. I, I think for sure that he plays Kuhn with a genuine, honest energy in that this is a kid who is some days a sweet little angel. Someday he just really wants attention. Some days he is the worst, most insufferable nightmare in the world. And some days, he's like, man, I should probably just go for a vasectomy. <laughs> you say that. But that's just part of bringing a kid, okay? If you really love your children, you, you will accept the good and the bad. And there's a whole... You, you accept the good and the bad and everything comes in between. But no, I think... Uh, what was it? Jared, right? Jared. Jaden, sorry. Uh, mm? Jaden. Jaden. Okay, Jaden. Sorry about that. Uh, Jaden, without a doubt, uh, pulls the entire, like, character of Kuhn as just a small child who is trying to learn about himself, 
trying to learn about his new family dynamic that is different than the way it was before, as well as also interacting with, like, members of his family and the weird, wacky scenarios his tree shows him. Mm -hmm. And he does a really good job making those emotional moments when he's very sweet and innocent, little goofy child, also a terror bratty monster. Just, it sells every bit of emotional, uh, emotion, emo I'm not even sure what I would describe it, just... He sells the entire tidal wave of small child <laughs> hard. He does. Like, he is believable, he is realistic, he is charming, he is terrifying, he is bratty, he is sweet. He is the whole nine yards, and, like, without a doubt, I think this dub is not, like, perfect, but without a doubt, like, this kid... This kid is doing a lot of heavy lifting for this project, and if if Kuhn didn't work, this dub wouldn't work. That's, that's what I want so to end off on. Yeah, this the entirety of the strength of this dub was going to rely on how believable Kuhn's English voice actor was. Now, they could have done the thing that most television dubs do, where young children voiced by a uh, woman, just to get mm -hmm. that pitch. But they could have done that. But this is an NYAV post-dub, and at this point, that is basically one of their big staples as a dubbing studio is that they seem to actively go out of their way to work with children like actually yeah. go out of their way to work truly work with children for their dubbing process and it worked out really well with this like i have a lot of problems with the actual movie itself that hasoda wrote screenplayed and produced like he took all the credits for this he and might shamalad himself into this but the actual performance of both Jaden and Victoria absolutely is what this movie called for. They, they rose to the challenge, and even though I can't honestly recommend the whole movie on its own merits, I really wish that their strengths were taken and molded into a stronger film. That is, that is how I think a strength of a good performance is that you hear the good parts in here, and it makes you wish for a better project than they were given which i think is a good enough as segues anyway to really talk about our final thoughts on the movie as a whole and the dub as a whole too which so, uh so i i'd say one of these is is a lot simpler than the other i'll say all in all the dub is not perfect but the dub is still pretty solid with a couple of entertaining and surprising performances throughout that's a fair assessment it's definitely got some spottier portions of it due to some of the casting. Um, I don't think the script writing had any faults that I can really think of. Um, they played loose enough with this when they needed to. And if you're if you're the kind of person who's listening to this wondering, should I watch this movie in sub or should I watch it in dub? I'd say, go ahead and watch it in dub. This is absolutely worth the watch for dub. Um, it, nothing is lost in the translation. And it's actually uh, really enjoying... As an anime watcher who listens to a lot of, like, the staple of voice actors, to hear new people get into the game. I know we ragged on Rebecca Hall's performance a bit here, but honestly, we're not opposed to uh, new people getting into the game. Even people who don't normally do voiceover work, as long as they're doing it up to the standards that uh, we feel that you should have. But definitely listen to this to hear some newer voices that you may not have heard before voice some well-animated Mamoru Hosoda characters. Now... 
I want to end this off by really just actually talking about the film as a whole, because you may have noticed as we're going throughout this whole thing, dub, I like, the movie itself, I'm not really a big fan of, and in fact, in re-watching this again, I may have to rank this as my least favorite Mama Hosoda film, saying that on the record here, lower than uh, the previously lower one, which was The Boy and the Beast, I just was not really a fan of the mentality of where this movie ended up. I feel like its parts are fine, they just don't add up to a great whole. What, what would you say this movie ultimately adds up to in the end? What it adds up to is a bunch of really great vignettes, a, a lot of strong segments that were not glued together very well. Uh, I, I'd almost argue and say that you probably could have just made this you could have made this a short story collection and yeah. it probably would have been a better product? I think so. Um, you, you remember Surrey Dairy Children, right? Not the comparison I was expecting. Go on. Okay, well, you know... I, I, I remember it very vividly. I, yes. Okay. Uh, I'm not talking about the sex scene. That that was not what this movie was about. I, okay, no, they didn't actually... They almost did, but anyway, continue. <laughs> so what I mean is, um, uh, to your point about how Mirai the movie could have been a short story compilation, I feel like the individual vignettes, the part with the dog being jealous of a new kid, the part of a boy going back in time to meet his grandfather to learn how to ride a bike, the, si the baby sister coming through time to uh, basically interact with her older brother, those could have been segments of different characters. I, honestly, I was I was literally thinking that's where you were going with this. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, the actual premises and setups could could have been different families. Yeah, just like and you could have you wouldn't have really lost the heart of it because at the end of the day, the heart of what each vignette is trying to get across is still there, and, and they're self-contained too because what they what Kuhn learns in each segment doesn't really carry over into the next one. They're each uh, I forget the Latin term for starting from the beginning. That is not how you structure a movie. This is a great. It's it, it's actually kind of hard. It's actually kind of makes it a little worse in some regards because I know time is passing, but the way it feels like it's like he learned a very important lesson, and then the next vignette starts, and he has immediately forgotten his lesson. Which is accurate to how four-year-olds act. I'm not going to say that uh, you know Ruby, who is four years old right now, remembered the lesson that she was taught yesterday. I'm not it, it's it's not that it isn't accurate, but it makes a frustrating film yes it does and there's a reason it's like hey this kid learned not to be rude to his sister the next scene he's a he smacks his sister with his train all over again like did we not take did we not resolve this in the first segment apparently not and, and it's like i know time has passed this is clearly like a month and a half has gone by but the way this movie is structured feels like this is literally the next day yeah yeah and that's and I, again, I feel like that was, the, the why is it like that is I feel like Mamoru Hosoda ha, has some very great ideas. He's an excellent animation director, but he's not working with his normal writing partner who uh, wrote the scripts for A Girl Who Left Through Time, Summer Wars, and Wolf Children. He decided to take the Oh, there was himself. a different writer on this. Yeah, it, it was him. He, he was the scriptwriter. He was not. Oh! He was the director, the screenplay, original story, and he, uh, you know, he Hayao Miyazaki'd himself. He penned 418 different storyboards for the film, 
So this is all his baby. So this is all his true passion project of being a dad. Yes, it is. So he he made a very personal project, but he didn't make a great fit. No, he put a, he did a lot of heart and soul into this, and I can easily see a lot of other parents watching this and being like, I connect with the honesty and truth that's put into this, but as a film watcher, I'm watching this and being like, this needed to be a better written story. It's the only is the only thing that's holding this back from being great. It's well animated. There's some great heart. There's some great ideas in here. The central concept of a boy traveling through time to meet his different relatives and learning lessons as a result of that. I mean, that's Dante's Inferno levels of really good ideas for a children's movie. Not that he needs to go to hell, although he kind of does near the end there. It it's it's pg hell. yeah it's, it's yeah there you go it's pg hell but uh yeah that is why it's like it this is a very frustrating movie like you said and i really wish that i liked it better than i do but i, I just don't it's just it's the weakest of the hasoda films so far and i really hope that my opinion turns around when I, we finally get to see bell later this year i'm very curious to see how that one will turn out but that being said I am definitely glad I did get to talk about this dub with you. I'm very glad I was able to sit down and do a one-on-one -on -one review for you for Summer at the Movies. This was this was a lot of fun. It was. Thank you very much. I'm glad that we got the two dad energy men together to talk about the almost quintessential dad movie. See, I'm not even the most dad energy. I just have more facial hair than you, so you can have more dad energy. I, I gave you some of my facial hair. <laughs> I, I can't grow. I've tried. I, I've tried to grow the beard out. I tried to grow the mustache out. I just can't. It just turns to scruff, and that's as far as it goes. It, it's pretty depressing, and I am, <laughs> I am like one of the. I, I am one of the younger ones here, and I have like twice the 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 facial hair on him. That's you know what he he can have that because I got the hot wife and the cute kid, so I I just consider that a fair trade off. And the cute dog now. And a pupper. I got a puppy. Hi, Lily. She's, she's literally lying right next to me right now. It, and you you guys could not hear her the whole movie. That is how chill she is. She's a good puppy. Oh, you got a good one. You treat that dog right, god damn you, it. You damn right I will. So All right. Now, if uh, you guys are watching this and you're like, I kind of want to watch this movie now. I, I, I need to find out what these weirdos on the internet are talking about. So, Mirai is currently streaming right now. It is actually available in both Japanese audio and English dub on Netflix. Yes, that's right. Netflix, the bringer of life, taker of worlds, has this movie streaming. I believe, I believe the movie Sub and Dub is also streaming on HBO Max as well. That's where I, that's where I was originally going to watch this before I found out it was also on Netflix, too. That, that is also correct. There is, um, I believe, G-Kids... Um, who most prominently G Kids is the licensor of this. Uh, they got the uh, the Studio Ghibli films. They've got those streaming on HBO Max. Sounds like they're also uh, bringing as much of their catalog over to HBO Max that's not Ghibli films as possible. Not all of them, but at least a lot of their bigger anime features that they have. Yep. They bring them there too. Yes. Yeah, and, spe but... and speaking of G Kids, uh, they do have a home video release for this as well, which I do recommend because although the film itself is, you know, we, we just spent an hour talking about it, uh, it's got a lot of good bonus content on it. The home video release comes with uh, interviews, like a one on one interview with the director, Mamar Hasoda, uh, goes into the daily uh, production in studio Chizo, uh, Chizu, sorry, 
Studio Chizu, that's kind of fun to watch, and shows like the making of the movie and interviews with a lot of the seiyus. So uh, if you like bonus content that's not available on regular platforms, check out the home video release. Alrighty. Now, that being said, uh, we could not have discussions about Summer at the Movies or any movies or mid-tier Mama Hosoda films without the fine folks who support us over on Patreon. Yes, you can support us over on the Dub Talk Podcast Patreon, and we need to give a huge thank to all the fine folks who supported us over there. And you can be one of those people, too, if you donate the minimum amount, you can get your name read off here by my glorious radio voice. Those people, like uh, our $5 patrons, so are Megan's mom and dad, Michelle Travis, Miraculous Corazon, Nico Robin, but with yaoi hands, Sue Tweet, and Victor Mayboroda. Thank you guys so much for your continued support of this podcast. You don't know how much that means to us. And a big, extra huge special thanks to our $10 patrons. Those who chipped in a little bit more, get the episodes a little bit earlier, and we adore these people for that. Special thanks to Carly Lestikow. Huge thanks to Crimson Echidna. Massive thanks to Jacob Wilson. Wonderful thanks to Jared Hawkins. Huge thanks to Julia W. Big thanks to Marissa Lenti, and extra huge special thanks to Otaku Anthony. You guys are amazing. I hope you guys like what we do because we love doing it for you. Actually, Noah. Sir. Since these people clearly love what we do, what do we do and where can we find ourselves? That's a good question, and I, I, I don't know this because I'm not part of the podcast, but I believe that they can follow us on Twitter uh, at dub talk podcast where all of our announcements are posted all of our silly shenanigans are posted that that is our most reliable place to follow us and also please subscribe to us on our youtube channel which is the most reliable place to get all our current and past content we've been doing this for over six years now there is plenty of discussions of animation mostly from japan but some of it from other places available for you on the dub talk podcast youtube channel we're also available but noah yes i hate youtube and i hate watching videos and i hate sitting down on a computer what if i wanted to go for a 20k jog and i wanted to listen to this podcast as well is there any other alternatives i could listen to this as well well just for you andrew and your pampered self we have done just that we have put all of our episodes up on podbean and they're also available on actually i forget what the other platform is what are they andrew uh, actually, okay, yeah, I was trying to do this, but anyways, uh, Podbean is our main, main platform, but we have also taken to, uh, putting episodes on, uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so if you'd like to listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, our episodes are posted around the same time as they are on our YouTube channel as well. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to watch our video with a little more about who's who, what's what, comparing character images to actor faces you could go on youtube but if you want to hear a little more of our voices while you're on the go and about what we're thinking you can do so on our audio platforms as well thank you and also just one more quick plug uh we have been actually using a lot more of our twitch channel lately to play thank the video you. games that we have uh twitch.tv slash dub talk podcast where we're streaming a little more regularly uh, Steph's been playing games, I've been playing games with Steph, Megan, Amon, and maybe even some party games with the squad in the future. Who knows? I got massacred in Jackbox the other night, folks. 
Tune in for that. Oh, yeah. I died. Yeah. I died at, what was that, murder party trivia game? Trivia, oh my god. Noah, how, Noah, I'm actually, I was joking, you are actually getting old, the older and older as this episode is going along. What is with the I, kids these days and their fancy new graphics? Back in my day, all we had were rocks and sticks, and we smashed them together, and we called that a good time. I don't get you people uh, Okay, okay, Grandpa, say goodbye to the people. It's time to, it's time to get you going to bed, sir. Uh, we gotta get you, Real we gotta get you Real time travel going on here. I'm interacting with my past and my future self. But if you want to follow Andrew here, where can they do that? Ah, thank you for asking. If you would like to follow my shenanigans, my name is Andrew, a.k.a. Classy Sarden. You can find me over on Twitter at MangaMan9000, where I regularly retweet and post a lot of memes and dogs and the works. But my other podcast gig, I am a member of Surreal Resolutions Anime Podcast ONA where we talk about the latest in the anime industry and anime news alongside another fellow member of the Dub Talk podcast, my good buddy, Jet. Hi, Jet. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter, at NoahClue, where now that I've got a new dog, I'm just going to be posting pictures of dogs all the time. Just new puppy pictures every day of the week. Uh, I believe Megan has referred to it as the puppy picture tax, which I am forced to pay every single day. But I, I was forced to pay it quite a bit when we got Rory, when my parents got Rory. So you got to you got to put your time in. I'm glad to be part of the club. But I also like to talk about animation as well, uh, including anything from all around the world. Uh, I've actually recently just started watching the Anne of Green Gables anime that uh, Isao Takahata made back in the 70s. That is some vintage good stuff, people. It is like is aged like fine wine. Go watch other shows that are about young children. Uh, beside Mariah as well, because they're out there. And that is what we are going to finish this off on. Again, thank you, Andrew. This was fun to do. And um, please continue, everyone, to watch the next upcoming episodes of Summer at the Movies. Bring your popcorn. There's plenty of more popping to go on. All right. And with 60 seconds left on the clock, uh, I think the only thing left to do now is to plug the next movie in the franchise. So what's coming up to the channel next week, Andrew? Uh, next week, we've got a ripe, juicy apple that you can sink your tiger claws into. <gasps> As you can see, a little more... Just grab a good book, grab a seat, and enjoy the chaos. Are we finally covering the Snow White movie? Sure, bud. Yay! Sure. And with that, uh, thank you all for watching. Thanks for tuning in. And I can't wait to see what I'm going to look like in 20 years. Oh, God, I hate it. And uh, I, I would say, like, what did I look like 20 years ago? But I can just look at my own kids and, oh, yeah, that's well. So take care of your kids out there. Uh, only procreate if you're uh, absolutely sure that you want to do that. Uh, what? Are you gonna disappoint 57th Prime Minister abe -san? Look, there's not- look, he, the man cannot support all of the children of the world out there, okay? We gotta- we gotta make sure that the next generation has good parents, is all I'm trying to say. Mm. Anyways... Yeah. Anyways, I, 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 I'd say that about wraps it up. Let, let, let's go to bed. Let's go play with our dogs and call it a night. Aloha and otaku on, my friends. Good night, everybody.